The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field deep. Bam going back. Looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back. It's one out. He's so he's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. We have some breaking news. Are you ready, Cody? What is our breaking news here on Wednesday? Is it the 28th? 29th. 29th? 29th, yes. Bob Nightingale, friend of the program of USA Today, is reporting that the Houston Astros and former Giants, Reds, Nationals manager, and Cubs, Dusty Baker, and the Astros have agreed to a short-term deal for him to become the next manager of the Houston Astros. So the Astros have their manager and... There's been one GM candidate to interview for the job that's been public. Do you know who that is? That would be a friend of the program. Friend of the program, Robert Evans, also known as Bobby Evans, who worked with Dusty Baker for how many years in San Francisco? So a Giants reunion in Houston? You know, I was wondering if there was Houston Astros fatigue. Like, if people were tired, because we don't take calls, and our text line, the Italian Stallion, still has not fixed our text line. Little Ragu, Joey Libatori. So, I, we really, other than Twitter, don't have a way to, to, to connect with you. That will change soon, trust me. But I wonder if you, like, turn on A's Cast Live, and, oh, God, Towns is banging on the Astros again. I learned something at FanFest. There is no Astros fatigue. You love hearing it, and you can't get enough of it. As there's a new story that came out today, Scott Emerson sent it to me. That'd be your pitching coach of the Oakland A's. Someone has now been able to go through all the video of 2017. God, I'm so happy there's people like this. Because there's no chance in hell someone like me is going to do that. There's no way I'm going to go through 100, well, no, 81, is it, it's just home games, right? They don't look at it on the road. Yeah, it's just home games. So So 81, okay, you got to go through 81 games. The average game for the Astros is close to three hours. So how much of that is them hitting? At least half. So you got to go through an hour and a half. Let's just say, let's say, let's call it an hour and a half of 81 games. Who does, who has the time to do that? Thank God there is somebody that did that. Yeah, so the the website is signstealingscandal.com, and they look at the Astros bangs, team total versus uh, team total. So but they, they, but they, they break it down per game. Yeah, they per game, and they have per player, too. So they... What they have, there's 1,142 bangs out of a possible 
12,274 pitches, which equates to 13.8%. Now, I went back and looked at some of the players, and the first guy I looked up was Jose Altuve because we you know, we talked about people wanting him to take, take away his 2017 AL MVP award where he hit 70 points higher on the road anyway. Um, out of a possible 866 pitches seen at home, uh, Altuve had 24 bangs, which is 2.8%. So uh, let's not strip that. Uh, wait, that- wait, 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 wait. It maybe isn't all bangs, though. Yeah, also, yeah, we don't. You know, Major League Baseball truly is covering something up. They wanted to put out a report. They wanted to damage a couple guys. And they wanted nothing to do with the players. They went in and told the players, hey, you tell us and we won't punish you. That's the deal they made with the players and the players' union. Tony Clark, head of the players' union, has been very vocal about how upset the players' union is with Rob Manfred in Major League Baseball. I'm just going to call it as I see it. I believe this was an olive branch. Major League Baseball says to Tony Clark and to the players, guys, I want to clean this up, give me the truth, and I won't punish you. I'll punish the guys that the players' union doesn't represent. Why would that happen? This is why. The collective bargaining agreement is coming up after the 2021 season. Major League Baseball does not want any labor strife. Life is good. Everybody's making money. The last thing they want to do is get into another fight with the players' union because Major League Baseball is going to need the players' union. Major League Baseball wants to expand. Now, of course, the players' union, that's more jobs, are going to be up for that. They want to do a universal DH. Players' union is obviously going to be up for that because that's another job. That means their their DH position, which is one of the most expensive positions in in years past, that's good for the players' union. So more jobs, more money. But then there's other things that the that the commissioner's office is going to want that the players' unions they're 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 not going to like, and their players are not going to like. So. There's kind of this dance right now with the commissioner's office and the players' union. Hey, let's get along. Let's get a deal. It should be easy to negotiate. I look across, if I'm Manfred to Tony Clark, and I say, hey, listen, all your players are making money. I'm sorry the older guys are not getting paid like they used to get paid, but that's just because the numbers are the numbers. Human beings don't get better as they get older if they're not on PEDs. But all your primetime players are getting paid. So why would we want work stoppage? Players are not going to want that. All these guys have signed extensions. So what Rob Manfred did is, I'm just going to punish the guys I can punish. That's A.J. Hinch, Alex Cora, Carlos Beltran, and Jeffrey Lunau. Now, we still haven't heard about a suspension for Cora or Beltran. But I guarantee you, Jim Crane and Rob Manfred work something out. I'll suspend them, and then Crane says, I'll fire them. Done deal. And the players get away with it. 
So I, if they were using buzzers, if they had these little pads, we're never going to know because they told the commissioner's office and the commissioner's office can then go with anything they want. So to say it's just the trash can bangs, I don't know if I can buy that. But anyway, in this, I'll retweet at Townsend Radio. I'll, I'll retweet this article. But you can clearly see they start testing it in April. So the very first game, there's only one bang against the Mariners. Second game of the year, April 4th, zero bangs. Then on April 5th, there's five bangs in the game. So you might be saying, okay, listen, there's only five bangs. What are we talking about? So it's very consistent in April and May that they're that, that they're they're only doing it a couple times a game. They got to figure out if they got it right. But then once they hit May 28th, the floodgates open. In a game against the Orioles, 28 bangs. And that was on May 28th. June 12th against the Rangers, there's 36 in the game. 36 times a player went up for the Astros and he knew it was coming. And then it just starts to grow. Let's go to the A's. June 28th, 26 times. June 29th, the next day, 40 bangs. 40. Then the Yankees come to town after the A's. So the A's, on June 29th, it's 40 bangs. Then on June 30th against the Yankees, 44. July 1st against the Yankees, 41. And it's it's now out of control. July 14th against the Twins, 48. How about on August 4th against the Blue Jays? 54 times a trash can was banged. 54. And he just goes down the line. It's 54. 54 is the most in a game. Now, like I said, I thought there was Astros fatigue. No, there's not. Because I listen to you. And I appreciate everything you do for me and my guys. And at FanFest, so many of you came up to talk to me about the Astros. So many of you said you love how we're holding them accountable. Mike Fires was what you would have thought Mike Fires won the Cy Young Award last year. Mike Fires is now, he's one of the most popular A's now. Because I can guarantee you, FanFest last year, Mike Fires didn't get this introduction. And when I interviewed, when I when I introduced Mike Fires, so I was up. If you weren't there, I was up on the stage. And I interviewed, so you know, Bo Mel and the coaches, the players, and Dave Cavill. Mike Fires' reception was so loud, and then I did on the stage. I did the dog and pony show with Mike Fire with the pitchers. It was supposed to be Dallas Braden, but he couldn't make it. I originally, I was up there with Dave Cavill and Billy Bean and then Bob Melvin and David Forrest, and later on I did the pitchers. The reaction Mike Fires is getting from you guys is absolutely beautiful. You're letting Mike know. I mean, people are screaming, we love you, Mike. You did the right thing. And I don't understand these people who come out against Mike Fires because everybody around baseball is thankful he did it. 
whatever Jessica Mendoza, and I, I love Pedro Martinez, but we're going to play for you what it was like. I mean, people, our, our fan base hates the Astros, but I'll tell you who went all in on the Astros. That was the Los Angeles Dodgers, not only at their fan fest, but Justin Turner's golf tournament. They went all in uh, on killing the Astros. So I thought there might have been Astro Astros fatigue. No, there's not. Not at all. You guys love it. And now Dusty Baker has to go in and he's got to be the fireman. He's got to put out the fire. Because they, they're going to play games, and everywhere they go, people are going to be screaming at them. People are going to have signs. It's going to be chaos everywhere they go. How does Dusty Baker put out the fire? How do you concentrate on just playing baseball? Because before every single game and after every single game, the local media in New York, in the Bay Area, in Tampa, in Kansas City, in Minnesota, in Anaheim, you name it, people are going to be asking about cheating. They're going to they're gonna try and put out the fire at spring training. You know, so far, no one wants to cop to anything. Dallas Keuchel said sorry, but he's a White Sox now. And he was a pitcher. Their hitters, their hitters don't want to talk about it. Supposedly, Jim Crane, the owner of the Astros, is going to force them to apologize at spring training. If you follow... I can't remember. What was the Twitter account? This over the weekend was hilarious. It was a. I might have erased it. Commander, I sent it to you. It was a. It was a tweet about Alex Bregman getting engaged. And I had to I had to look at the comments. I just the trolls were out. And it was hilarious. Who put it out? Oh, is the Houston Astros Twitter account put it out there? Houston Chronicle. Oh, the Houston Chronicle. They put out the picture of Bregman and his fiance, and all of a sudden, get that up. Let's read some of them. It was hilarious. Did he steal the ring? <laughs> People were just all over this. So this is a story that's not going to die, and it's not going to die any time soon. All righty, Astros, still the big topic. I know you love hating on them. Can't wait for the rivalry this year. And if you think we hate them, how about the L.A. Dodgers? Let's start with their skipper. Dave, how angry are you? About what, Bill? About the sign-stealing scandal. Yeah, you know, I, I think that, first off, I, I think that what went down as far as you know, what the commissioner uh, decided to do as far as penalty, uh, we completely support it. Um, but as far as kind of the direct impact, um, you know, of 17 of the World Series, it, it's it's frustrating. It's really frustrating. I think that, uh, you know, this could be a conversation I can go on for quite some time. But I think, uh, you know, my demeanor, um, it, it's really frustrating. You look at what could have happened. And um, I can't go too much into it, uh, Plast, but, you know, speaking for the players, um, the fans, 
and um, you know it was quite a season. What could have been different, uh, but I, really for me, it, it kind of goes out to you know some unfair criticism that guys like Clayton took, um, you and um, Kenley, and I guess frustrating is probably the floor. But uh, of my emotions, but that's kind of where I'm at. All right. How about Justin Turner, the third baseman? JTA Dallas Keiko apologized yesterday. Does that mean something to you? Um. Well, Dallas Keiko didn't hit, so I don't think uh, I don't I don't really know uh, why he was the one apologizing. But uh, you know, that's he's the first one that's mentioned anything like that. So. Good for him. Are you surprised the Astros haven't shown more remorse? Do you think they should show more remorse? Has anybody apologized to you? I haven't talked to anyone from their team. Do you think they should show more remorse? It's tough, you know. Uh, obviously, MLB and the, and the commissioner did their investigations, and uh, they found enough evidence to support, you know, three managers losing their job and two general managers. So um, obviously, there was there was something there, and. They crossed the line, and uh, MLB did what they had to do, what they felt was necessary. Uh, I think the tough part is, you know, we know how hard it is to win a World Series. Um, you know, getting there back-to-back -back years and not being successful, and we know that it's something that you really have to earn. And with, you know, the commissioner's report, and the evidence, and what they had, it, it's it's hard to it's hard to feel like they earned it and, and they earned the right to be called champions, which. Is something that I think everyone in this game uh, holds pretty highly to be called a champion. So, um, you know, there's been reports of the city council asking for, for us to get a trophy. Uh, I don't think anyone in the organization wants that. Uh, we want to we want to be able to experience uh, those things. We want to be able to dogpile. We want to be able to pop the champagne in the clubhouse and, and spray all of you guys. And uh, we want to have our parade and we want to do it the right way. So I don't think anyone's asking for that trophy. I don't think anyone wants that trophy uh, by any means. All right. To the last guy, Kiki Hernandez, he uh, he went all in. They cheated and they got away with it. And they got a ring out of it. So uh, I guess if, if nothing happened to them as players, good for them. I think the fact that we got, you could say, cheated in the World Series you know, whether you apologize or not, you know, it is what it is. I guess when you get suspended for when you, when you, the other way of cheating, when you do steroids, you apologize. But for whatever reason, since they, they were able to get away with it, they didn't have to apologize. I don't know. Maybe they're going to apologize in the future. I don't know. They cheated. There's a bunch of Dodger fans that are going down to Anaheim the first time the Astros play against the Rally Monkeys. And, uh, that's the first series of the year for the Angels. Oh, it's the very first season? Very oh. first series. Well, how are they going to get tickets? It's not like the Angels don't sell out. Especially. Well, I mean, now they got now they got Anthony Rendon there. Well, I mean, Joe the, Madden. The Angels have been the kings of over $3 million a year for years. Well, it's probably Mike. It dipped a little bit last year, but. It's probably Mike Trout, Anthony Rendon, bobblehead night or something that day. I don't know. Oh, it's Mike Trout, MVP, beach towel night. Yeah. Uh, by the way, um, at the end, Justin Turner will talk for like eight minutes, and at the end of his session at FanFest over the weekend, he did say at the very end, we don't want a fake banner, a fake World Series. And then Ross Stripling, one of the pitchers on the 
Dodgers. I think he was, on, I believe he was an All Star. Finally, he was an All Star last year, twenty eighteen. He said that they should have, an, they should probably have an asterisk by their the World Series already. So you don't want you don't want Mookie Betts. No. Why do I want a guy that's an MVP, four time All Star, three time Silver Slugger, World Series champion? That's making twenty seven million dollars, and then he wants four hundred and twenty. If that's true, Se- second highest war in baseball. I don't care. I don't care. He's already. I'm not paying him four hundred twenty million dollars. These contracts don't. The reason why you're paying Mike Trout that kind of money is not because you think he'll be great the entire deal. It's just he's your guy. Mike Trout is the Angels. He means more to the Angels than he does if he went anywhere else. He's like what Jeter means to, to was. If Derek Jeter signed with someone else, would he be worth the money that the Yankees? Because he had a he had a monster contract. Would he be worth that to somebody else? No, not the end of his career. There's something but... about baseball, like Cal Ripken Jr. What he meant to the Orioles, Tony Gwynn. What he meant to the Padres, Stan Musial to the Cardinals. You know, Ted Williams to the Reds. There's these iconic players. That they there's something about there's some something romantic about when a player is drafted, he comes up, stars for you, and he's your guy. He's always gonna be your guy. Barry Bonds had that with the Giants because he was a Bay Area guy and his dad played for the Giants. Willie Mays was his godfather. There's just something about that 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 he's yours. He's always going to be yours. He has that he has that street cred with you. The minute you go somewhere else, you know, you're now just a you're you're a hired gun. Yeah, I don't think I mean I think at the time when Bonds left, I think people in Pittsburgh were upset about it. I was 3, so I wasn't really, you know, I didn't really know any any better. And then I had to wait 20 years for the team to be good to know any better. But I agree with you, but I still think Mookie's the type of player that He's only been in the league six years, so if you go play, you get a 10-year contract somewhere else, he could become that guy like Mike Trout. Like, look at A-Rod. Look at when A-Rod signed that record deal with Texas. He signed the record deal. Scott Boris said it was going to change the franchise, and that's when they were talking about, which I didn't know at the time, but that's when they were floating this Texas Live thing that they have now. Um, they were going to talk about all the stuff, the businesses that are going to be built around the ballpark, and Alex will be the centerpiece. Those Rangers teams stunk. Okay, great, he won the MVP, but those teams stunk. And then they ended up trading him. A-Rod's value went down when he went to Texas. And then he ends up going to shipping to, to, to New York. But there's something about when you just just you sign the big free agent, how many of these deals don't work out? So why would I give unless here here here's 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 the the only way I change. The only way I change is if Mookie is going to agree to a contract. Is Bor is he a Boris guy? I don't know who his agent is. But, uh, yeah, what do you got here? He's VC Sports Group, who I have no clue who they are. If if I'm, I, I mean, why would I trade 
I mean, if Hein Bloom wants a bunch of top prospects, you want me to trade a bunch of top prospects for a guy who's saying, I want to be on the free agent market after the year? Why would I do that? Now, you might be saying, well, I want to be all in. You know, like, like for example, I'm looking at David Schoenfield's article today, Mookie Watch. What we're hearing as bets to Dodgers or Padres, the trade rumors. So let's take the Padres. The Padres, there's a belief that A.J. Preller needs to win this year or he could be gone. So do you make that deal to take on Mookie Betts and give up? You know, because the Padres, uh, you know, believe what you want to believe. MLB.com, top 100 prospects. They got quite a few guys in there. Prospects, as you know on this show, are suspects until they do something at the big league level. But you want to give up some of your top prospects because you believe bringing in Mookie Betts and putting them in right field and you flip them Will Myers and get rid of that contract, that that's going to, it's going to make you competitive with the Dodgers and it's going to make you competitive for the wild card. Maybe you do that deal because you're desperate because you know if you don't win, you're out. So what, is it, what do these prospects mean to you anyway if you lose, if you're losing your job? Okay, I guess I could understand that. I mean, if I'm the Dodgers and you want, I mean, who knows? God, the guy's name, Gavin Lux, you know, if you want, like, but Mookie's going to have to, I'm not trading him to have him come to Los Angeles for a year and then after a year say, I'm testing free eight. No, you got to, was a VC group or whatever they called? Yeah, they're based out of Boston, I think. They would have to. VC Sports Group. I would have to agree to a contract extension before I trade for him. Does that make sense? Yes. It, no, it, it makes sense completely. I, I'd be the same way. If I'm Andrew Friedman, I'm not going to – well, from everything I've read, Gavin Lux is not going to be in the deal. So I don't know how you're, you're Heim Bloom and you're trying to get it back and you're going, well, you know, I need some guys to come back. And it's like, well, we're not going to give you Gavin Lux or, or Dustin May, Ginger Guard. Hey, can I tell you why Dodgers – Red Sox, this deal will never work. Can I tell you why? Yes, of course. This is Tampa versus Tampa. Think about it. That, the, that's the first thing I thought of when you said, can I tell you why? That's the uh, Friedman and, and Heim. Both the Tampa Bay Dodgers doing business with the Tampa Bay Red Sox. They do business the same. Since they do business the same, there's no way they can get this deal done. Because they're both about winning the deal. That's why I think you'll never, ever – you have the exact same mentality going on between Red Sox and – they do business the same way. Andrew Friedman has not broke the bank yet on any free agent, and he's unwilling to trade his prospects. We've seen that. Well, Hein Bloom wants Andrew Friedman to do two things he has not done, give up prospects – and spend a ton of money on a, on basically a free agent. Because if you don't think you can retain Mookie Betts, what's the point? The Dodgers feel, I mean, essentially, and maybe we'll get a chance to hook up with some Dodger people down at spring training. I, I get the sense the way the Dodgers have done business this offseason, they feel they can win it with what they got. You're going to have a full year of Gavin Lux in your lineup. And, you you know, we keep saying they can, he's going to be the, the guy for them, the guy. But – 
you know, what if he what if he isn't the guy and you're reluctant to trade him to get Mookie Betts to help you? So for what? That Lux one year? is going to play second base, right? Yes, and then Seager will play, play short. And uh, the bearded, the red beard, will still be at third, third base unless they trade for someone. But if they're not going to trade for Betts, they're not going to trade for Chris Bryant, who has two years of contract time remaining, and then you're you can put Muncie at first. What would you rather do? Would you rather give up less prospects and get Chris Bryant or have to give up some of your best prospects and take on a huge contract and a potential you know, $400 million deal after that for Mookie Betts? That's, I would still take Betts. I just think what he brings on both sides of the ball and, and just the, 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 way, the player he is. What, but I mean, Chris Bryant's a great player. He's won the MVP. He's won a World Series. He's been a Rookie of the Year. Mookie, it all for me. It all comes on to defense. And Chris Bryant had a. I mean, if you want to look at it, he was a negative defender last year when it comes to defensive war. Now Mookie's not going to set the world on fire, but he has one. But he's a decent defender. I believe he's one. He's won four Gold Gloves. So I would say he's a decent. He's a good. He's a very good right fielder. And you put him out there, at Bellinger, he might have the best defensive outfield in baseball. And you can throw whoever in left field. But you're gonna have to worry about paying him possibly four hundred million dollars, and that be uh, that'd be interesting to see in, in L.A. where you have the two highest paid guys in baseball playing in L.A. If Mookie did get four hundred million dollars from the Dodgers, if that ever happened with him and Trout, then it becomes who's more popular, Mookie or Trout? Oh God! Or Bellinger because you got to pay Bellinger down the road too. Yeah. He, last time I checked, he's a pretty good player. I mean, I'd have to go back and check his numbers, but I think he's won an MVP. Trout set the bar. By the way, it's Anaheim. Don't call it L.A. That always drives me nuts. It's Orange County. Yeah, Orange County. Orange County. Stop. You know, you're going to have to pay Bellinger over $300 million. Easy. Without a doubt, yeah. So the bar's been set. The bar's a, It's Trout. No one's getting more money than Trout. No one. There's no way. There's no way any agent's gonna 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 be able to trouts the bar because no one's as good as he is. He's the best player in baseball. It's not. I mean, it's it's horrible for us to say that because he's our rival. He's the best player in baseball. There's no denying it. So I, to me, I don't think it's close. I think it's trout. It's trout. For, forget you and me, right? Talk to the people who really evaluate the game for a living. Like the people in the game, these GMs, everybody is Trout's the best player. They're the, it's clearly head to toe. He's there, there's nobody. I mean, and no disrespect to these other guys. Trout is an all time great. Trout has the biggest contract. There's every team will negotiate against Mookie Betts based on Trout. If Trout retired today, and I'm willing to say that if he retired today, he's a Hall of Famer. No doubt. He has the war already. He has the numbers, and he's what he's. I think he's entering his. I think it'll be his tenth year. These all time, these all time war guys. You're talking Babe Ruth, Barry Bonds. He's gonna be. He's gonna be. He by the end of his career, what is the highest war? It's a hundred and what? Mm, I think it's Babe Ruth. Let me check because Trout right now in his career has a seventy two point five yeah, entering s- season ten. Seventy gets you into the Hall of Fame alone. So I I I, I truly believe. That Mookie will get negotiated down based on Trout. So if he wants four twenty, he ain't getting that. Because because uh, what, what Trout's was what four thirty? Because they absorbed they absorbed money from his contract that he had now to make the grand total 
like four thirty-five. I, I, I. So what are you going to do? You, are you are you telling me Andrew Friedman's going to pony up over three hundred million for Mookie Betts and then have to pony up over three hundred million for Cody Bellinger? So basically, you'd have like six hundred and something million in two guys. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. Then you have to come, then it comes down to you to decide. Well, I don't need to really really worry about it unless you want to lock up Bellinger early. But it comes down to who would you rather keep Bellinger or Betts. Are, 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 and are you telling me the Padres, who are already paying three hundred million for Machado, could take on another three hundred million plus contract to where they're now paying two guys six hundred plus million? I don't know. I just I don't know what market is there for Mookie Betts. By the way, the highest WAR ever one hundred eighty two point four. That'd be that'd be one George Herman Ruth. The next closest was Walter Johnson at 164.3. 182.4? Uh, Barry Bonds is uh, 162.8, and Roger Clemens is eighth at 139.2. Neither of those guys are in the Hall of Fame, yeah. and they're in the top ten. Uh, how good was Willie Mays? 156.4. Hank Aaron, 143. <laughs> Dude, Trout's going to have that kind. Trout's going to be one of these. Look at the top. Just, just to give you an idea, folks, this is the top ten. Babe Ruth, Walter Johnson, Cy Young, Barry Bonds, Willie Mays, Ty Cobb, Hank Aaron, Roger Clemens, Tris Speaker, Honus Wagner. That's the top 10. Now, the names from 11 to 20. Stan Musial, 11. Rogers Hornsby, 12. Eddie Collins of your Philadelphia Athletics, 13. Ted Williams, 14. Pete Alexander, 15. I have no clue who he is. Alex Rodriguez, 16. Kid Nichols, 17. Lou Gehrig, 18. The great Ricky Henderson, 19. And Mickey Mantle, number 20. By the way, Ted Williams lost four years of his career. Can you imagine what Ted's would have been if he would have? Those are four years of his prime. His prime. But that just goes to show you, you get into that top 20 in war all time, you're truly one of the greatest players to have ever lived. Trout will be, he'll be top 20. Barring injury, Mike Trout will be in that type tw- top 20 in war all time. He'll be with the greats of the greats. He's 87th right now. He is, his war is 72.5, ahead of Derek Jeter, who is 72.4, and he's right behind Larry Walker, who is 72.7. Both those guys are going to the Hall of Fame. Put that into perspective for a moment. Derek Jeter played 20 years. Derek Jeter is what in hits? Sixth? Something like uh, that? I think he's fifth all time. Let me check. But I, th- I thought it was. Derek Jeter played 20 years, and Mike Trout already has a higher war than Derek Jeter in his career. I mean, that. How many home runs does he have against the A's? Like 34 or something like that? Uh, I'll, I'll look. I remember we looked this up before. It's crazy. Jeter's sixth. He has 3,465 hits. Yeah, so he's sixth. So Derek Jeter's sixth in hits, played 20 years, and Mike Trout already has a higher war. Trout has 200. Trout's going to break 300 home runs this year. He has 285. He might break it in the first month and a half. So that's, so that's my whole point about Mookie Betts. It's like you're not going to get Trout money. They'll argue against that. You know, you, you know what will what will end up happening for for Mookie? It'll be like an uh, it'll be a team you don't think. It'll be like the Texas Rangers. You know, it's going to be somebody. Might be the Chicago White Sox. It's going to be somebody because 
we're thinking, oh, he's staying with the Red Sox. Oh, the Yankees. I don't know. I'll, the Yankees just signing Garrett Cole to 324. I, I, I don't know. The Yankees have not – they went out of their way to break the bank because they felt this was the reason they've been held back from winning a title was not having a guy. They needed a guy on the mound every five days, the guy that pitches you through the postseason. So that's why they ponied up the kind of money they did for Garrett Cole. Uh, Carlos Stanton – formerly known as Mike Stanton. Uh his deal is a monster deal. He's a three hundred he's he's over three hundred million, right? His was three thirty, I think, when he signed it with the Marlins. You're gonna have to pay Judge. Yeah. He's got that arbitration. Uh, so race. that's what I'm saying. What's the what's what really is the market for Mookie Betts and a let, let, let's hypothetical play around with yeah, he 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 is gonna get around four hundred million. Where's the market? I think a team that could, could that might be able to give them the money. Uh, this team popped into my head because they're always looking to add players. I think St. Louis it's could, good call. could be a team where Mookie goes and gets the money. I don't want to see him go to a team because I think he's too good of a too great of a player to go to a team like I don't know. Like no no offense to the Mariners, I lo- I love the ballpark, but for him to go to Seattle like Robinson Cano and, and like never make the playoffs like. I saw that with King Felix for his you, entire you, career. You, you mean banished to the Pacific Northwest where no one pays like, attention? Like a team that's going to throw like, okay, like the Blue Jays are rebuilding for the future, and I'm a big Ryu fan, but do, do I think that the Blue Jays are going to win with Ryu? Probably not. Not right now. So, like, he just took the money and went somewhere. Like, a team like that. I'd rather Mookie go to a team like St. Louis, get it, and be, you know, be a great player playing for a great organization, you know, historically great organization that produced guys like Stan Musial, Bob, Bob Gibson, and that, and you can put Mookie up there as a guy – Hey, he's been here for ten years, and here's what he's done. You know, maybe he comes back and he gets cheered like Mike Trout or like uh, Albert Pujols did. If he ever left, by the way, Mike Trout in his career, uh, thirty-four homers against the A's. I had it down. Eighteen of them were at the Coliseum, uh, and he's never it's, been it's and like, never been caught stealing at the Coliseum. It's like he hits a home run every series against us. Uh, the only teams that he thirty-four. Uh, so God, who is it? It's A. Rod and Rafael Palmero have the most home runs against the Oakland A's. Nobody, nobody is ever going to break the record of opponent home runs versus the A's. Do you know who has hit the most home runs against the A's, and it's not even close? We're going back to, like, the Philadelphia A's, I'm assuming, in Kansas City, maybe. I said the A's. So when I say A's, that means... All time. Yeah. Uh, they were in Oakland in 1968. Let me think. Who All-time home run record, opponent home runs versus the A's. George Herman Ruth. And it's not even close. It's like a, he hit like 108. I check this every year. He hit like 100. It, I think it's 108 home runs he hit against the A's. Because you got to remember, there was only so many teams, and they played each other constantly. I mean, when you hit when you hit 714 home runs and you didn't play against a lot of different teams, you're going to rack up monster numbers against every single team. But uh, Babe Ruth's numbers against the Philadelphia Athletics, it, it's stupid. Like, can you imagine he was coming to town and you're on that pitching staff and you're like, oh, my God, this guy's just going to wear us out. Uh, in his career, 
Um, he's hit 123 against the Tigers, and then 108 versus the Philadelphia A's. Yeah, I told you. I have that down. I've seen so much. What was his – so check this out. Against the A's in his career, George Herman Ruth, 1,181 OPS. What was his bat? He hit 352 with 108 home runs. How many RBIs did he have against the A's? 323. <laughs> Can you imagine being a Philadelphia athletic and the Yankees are coming to town? And uh, I mean, I, I bet Gehrig has a ton of home runs against the A's. He just let's see who oh, go back go back to uh go back to opponents. Who did he hit the? He hit 123 home runs against the against the Tigers. So his second most is against it. Can you imagine you're the Tigers? You're the Tigers or you're the A's and the Yankees are coming to town. And you're like, oh, my God, I got to face this guy again. He's hitting 352. Uh, he, and he's not stealing. He's not stealing signs. Can you imagine if Ruth was stealing? They were stealing signs, banging trash cans, and Babe Ruth knew what was coming. He was hitting 352 off you already. How many more shots would he have called if he knew what was coming? Holy mo- I mean- I, I'm, I'm, I'm looking real quick. The uh, In three career games versus the Pittsburgh Pirates, he had 12 at-bats, three home runs, six RBIs, hit 417. <laughs> Actually, his damage against the Red Sox is that, well, he was a Red Sox. You, you know he pitched. Yeah. And, and two straight years, he won like twenty three and twenty four games. I mean, it was it was. That's why people like you. You got to look at Ruth's numbers. I, they're, they're just they're they're cartoonish. Literally every team he faced that he had more than a hundred and say let's just put it one hundred and fifty at bats. He hit over three thirty versus every team. Three thirty. The only team that actually owned him were the Cubs, and where he only played in five games had and he had twelve at bats. He hit point eighty three. Every other team that was a World Series. Every other team he literally. He crushed every team he faced. Like he hit three fifty four versus the Indians and one thousand one hundred forty three. <laughs> like like like, what's the scouting report when he comes to town? Uh oh. <laughs> just I can see the managers now. Like uh oh, you know, present day. Just you oh. see the manager of just giving out the walk floor. him. Just walk him. I mean, that, I mean, that's what that that that's where Superberry was. Superberry was. At a point to where you just walked him. Like, you didn't want to face him ever. Because if you threw one – if you threw Superberry, that's Barry on PEDs. If you threw the ball anywhere around the plate, it was getting crushed. And that's why people just – I'm just – I don't care what the scenario is. Base is loaded, walk him. We'll take the run. I mean, it, it got to a point you couldn't get him out. And that's what it would have been like facing Babe Ruth. It just would have been a nightmare. But Trout is a nightmare. But Mookie Betts, he's a great player. I just don't know. I think Heim Bloom's kidding himself. You're not dealing with Tampa Bay anymore. If you think you're going to get a team, maybe that, maybe, maybe you got to find somebody. Maybe the only team desperate enough to do it would be the Padres. You got to be pretty desperate to give up top prospects for a guy who's saying to everybody, I'm testing free agency. So he's going to sit back. It's like putting your house on the market. He's going to sit back, and he's going to allow everybody to come in the house, check out the house, and he's going to go, make me offers. When we're at the winter meetings this year, it's in Dallas, right? 
when we're in Dallas, maybe that will be the big story. Mookie Betts has signed 12 years, $389 million with, I don't know, there's going to be mystery teams involved. The old mystery team. Maybe we can ask Dave, uh, ask Billy again. Billy, are you the mystery team at all? He confirmed Billy Bean confirmed on A's Cast Live that he was the mystery team for Garrett Cole. Remember how funny that was? Yeah, that was that was actually really good when he said that. We should do that again. Hey, the mystery team. Hey, can you see him out in right field for the A's? At any time. Well, by Hem- the way, Hembo. Hembo's a big fan of Mookie coming here. Hembo liked the idea of Mookie Betts being uh, the green and gold. I think that was before he found out that he was going to make $27 million in arbitration, but <laughs> who knows? Maybe he still wants him here. Well, actually, we thought he was going to make twenty-eight. It's a million less. Yeah, it's true. I mean, he, that mo- and how much How much would the Red Sox eat of that $27 million? Uh, you, you know Friedman's going to try to get them to eat some of that money if he gets traded to the well, – No, no, Friedman wants – he wants the team to take all 27. Well, yeah, well, but the Red Sox also want you to take – hey, we'll give you bets – but we got to take David Price too, and Nathan Avaldi, and uh, and take Chris Sale. Yeah, take all the big contracts. You know, one thing about Betts and Hein Bloom is I read this article. I don't know how it works, but if they could ship Betts to the Padres, and Will Myers comes in the deal over from the Padres. Somehow that would give them tax relief. Even though I think Will Myers may, I don't know, I, probably like Myers, Ma, Myers is still owed, I think, $61 million over three years. I think if they did that, it would give them like tax relief of like $13 million or something. Something like that. I, I think I was I reading get, something I, about I, it. I don't know how it worked, but it was like it would give them a little bit of help, but it wasn't enough to get under the CBT. I love baseball, but I, I, I'm, not, I'm not checking the luxury tax. I'm not figuring all that. I told you I got the mid the MLB offseason report for your Oakland Athletics. And this is in USA Today Sports Weekly that I am still I still get to this day. I'm like the last guy that apparently in America that still has magazines uh, delivered to his house because I am not a millennial. So I li- I still I like I like the newspaper, I like the feel, I like I like the smell. So I can't uh, I can't get rid of that. But I wanted to give this to you, some of the stuff that they're talking about. Uh, the off-season report for your Oakland A's. Key number is 32. 32 saves blown by Oakland relievers last season, most in the majors despite seventh-best bullpen ERA. The five issues facing the athletics. Number one, ready for prime time. Prize lefty pitching prospects Jesus Lazardo was a candidate to make the rotation out of spring in 2019. Obviously, the shoulder derailed that. And also, you got A.J. Puck. Are they going to be ready for prime time? How are they going to handle the workload? Because you want Jesus Lazardo and A.J. Puck pitching in September and in the postseason. So how do you handle that? And that's where earlier today we had Chris Bassett on. That's where I think Chris Bassett's really going to play as you're going to see guys, I'm not going to say a six-man rotation, but between Bob Melvin, Billy Bean, David Forrest, Scott Emerson, they'll come up with a plan 
because there's only going to be so many innings for these young guys, but you want those innings to happen when it really matters. Shaky bullpen is number two. It says Oakland did little to address the relief cor- the relief corpse that tri- that struggled at times last season beyond the top arms of Liam Hendricks and Yasmero Petit. And Blake Trinan is now a Dodger. So it is true the bullpen is going to have to get better. And Yasmero Petit, my god, what a what a year he had with all the appearances, pretty amazing. Number 3 Bounce back potential, and that's got Chris Davis written all over it. Chris Davis had three straight years of at least 40 home runs and 100 RBIs. If you bring that guy back into the lineup with what what you already have, that's like adding a major free agent. And you can say the same thing about Frankie Montas. It's like adding a free agent pitcher and a free agent hitter. Whistleblower response is number four. Former Astros pitcher Mike Fires was at the center of the controversy over the offseason as the whistleblower who revealed Houston's sign-stealing scheme that eventually led to the firings of three managers and a general manager. What will Fire's reception be in parks around the league? And how will opposing players receive him? It's safe to assume he won't get a warm welcome in Houston. I don't think other than Houston, I think everybody's happy about it. You know, the Dodgers didn't have a problem with it. Dodgers were all over the Houston Astros at their fan fest. Uh, The Tampa Bay Rays were all over the Astros at their fan fest. Teams fan fest, this was a big deal. I think a lot of people are happy about it. Remember, Fires was not on the playoff roster after he led them in innings pitched when they won the World Series. I don't think they parted ways as buddies. And I can tell you at our fan fest, Fires walked around like a rock star. Everybody, people were screaming, thank you, Mike. Great job, Mike. He's going to get a lot of support here. And the fifth issue for the athletics this offseason, who's on second? Jerks and Profar has moved on to the Padres. Who's going to win the job? Is it going to be Barreto? Is it going to be Mateo? Guys are out of options. Noisy. Kemp is now into the mix. Who is going to play second base? Let me tell you. If that is your biggest worry, what a terrific offseason it's been. Second base? I mean, come on. You can find a guy to play second base. You look at your starting rotation. You look at Mike Fires and Sean Manaya and Frankie Montas and A.J. Puck and Jesus Lazardo and Chris Bassett. And then you start looking around the diamond. Now, you know, they, they 
it's tough to always project a lineup for the A's because you know they're going to move guys around. It's just the way it is. But, I, you know, if you look at Cannon left, Ramon Laureano in center, a healthy Steven Piscotti in right, Chapman at third, Simeon at short, whoever whoever is the second baseman, Matt Olson first base, Chris Davis DH, Sean Murphy behind the dish, it's a strong lineup. They just came out, we'll probably do this next week, they came out ranking potential lineups 1 through 30. And on this list, was it done by ESPN? Uh, the A's were sixth. People now know the A's are a team to be reckoned with. And 2020 is going to be a lot of fun. Chris, welcome back to A's Cast Live. Thank you very much. How are you? Good. Happy birthday. And I thought that uh, tribute that they put together, uh, even though you are 49, uh, was pretty funny that they had for you there on the network. Very creative. That's, that's why we've got the best production team around. They, they got it pretty good. There's no question about it. Anytime you can get Kevin Millar's uh, eight-year-old daughter swearing on TV, I mean, holy <laughs> smokes, who doesn't want to hear that? <laughs> it was absolutely hilarious. Are you in L.A. or are you down in Miami? Le- leaving tomorrow, so I'll get down there, um, hop right into the festivities. Can't wait. It's going to be, uh, you know, it's a great city to have it in. It's hard to believe it's been a full decade since they've played the Super Bowl down there. But it's, I mean, it's going to be great. If you, it, it, Obviously, a lot of football fans are fans of a particular team. But if you can take your team out of the equation and kind of handpick two other teams to be there in terms of having an interesting game, I think we've got about as good a matchup as we could ask for. Well, and, and you got to realize with A's fans, there's there's a whole lot of A's fans that grew up yeah. in the East Bay where the Raiders were in Los Angeles and they're right. 49er fans. So we just had our fan fest and all the chants for 49ers. So right now you're talking to a lot of 49er fans. Yeah, well, it's interesting. So obviously you've got your 49er fan contingent up there. And then I also have like, uh, I know a guy down here who's a huge Raiders fan and he's like, this is the worst Super Bowl ever because you got the <laughs> Niners on one end and then the division rival Chiefs on the other. So I imagine there's a few of those folks listening as well. And when it opened up at one, it basically told you Vegas is kind of like, yeah, this is kind of a pick em. Yeah. I mean, it, it really, you could make – with as much studying and research as, as I've done, we, you know, we got a almost a 100-page packet on the Super Bowl from our awesome research team at NFL Network. I have changed my mind on who's winning this game six times easily, and it'll probably change another four in between now and kickoff. I just – I can't figure out – you know, I'm reading so much information. I feel like, yeah, 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 you know, the, the Niners only give up 169 passing yards a game. Yeah, but Patrick Mahomes can do anything. Yeah, but you know what? The Niners can take a little air out of the football, and it doesn't matter whether Coleman's hurt or Raheem Mostert is back there or even if they have to use Breida. They can run against everybody. Yeah, but the Chiefs, they have so much speed on the outside that Nicole Hardeman is their third receiver and can blaze a trail past anyone in this league. So I'm kicking this thing around and making myself, you know, my head spinning at this rate. I can't figure it out. Yeah, you know, for my my second job, I'm actually the radio sideline guy for the Raiders for the national broadcast, and uh, I get to see Mahomes twice a year, and the last two years, this guy has done things 
that I've never seen before. Uh, his ability, the arm, uh, obviously his dad, the, the pitcher, he's got a world-class arm. The way he can throw from anywhere and across his body, and then he can beat you with his legs. I don't know how many guys we've ever seen play the position the way he does. Not a lot. I can tell you that. Um, I said it the other night when I hosted opening night, to me he is the face of this league. He is the face of this league. He is the best player in this league. He, as long as he remains standing upright for the next seven years, you can carve his bust in Canton. I'm not saying that to, to you know, say something outlandish. I honestly believe it. I, I don't think there's one thing in his game where you're like, really? Like sometimes when you get a, a quarterback that's under 25, there's like three or four throws a game where you're like, okay. Like, he's not going to make those again in three years once he really understands. I can't remember a ton of those a game. He has maybe one instead of, like, four or five. And that's just the difference between – he hasn't thrown an interception in the playoffs. He's played four games. He hasn't thrown a pick. Like, it's pretty special. And um, he's a ton of fun to watch, and he doesn't give canned answers, but he also doesn't say anything ridiculous. So he's easy to root for. He's easy to like. I, I get it. If you're a Raider fan, you're not going to like it because he's in your division for the next 15 years, hopefully, um, health-wise. But, man, there's just so much to like and appreciate about him. All right. We'll get back to baseball in a moment. But last thing here. Okay, so my I have twin daughters. They both want to go to Stanford. So I'm going to put oh. their college tuition on this game. So it's either Stanford or junior college. And I'm going to take that money based on what you tell me. Am I going Niners or am I going Chiefs? It depends. How smart are your daughters? Really smart. Oh, gosh. I can't handle the pressure. Because there was always the fallback that I could be right and still they wouldn't get into Stanford. So now now if they're super smart, um, I, I think it's the Niners. I've got like 31-27 is what I'm feeling. So... How's that? How's that sound? Uh, okay. All right. We're in. All right. Hopefully, uh, it's not junior college, Chris. All right. So intentional I mean, talk. You guys were talking about the universal DH. It's gonna happen. The players' union wants it. We know how baseball is with the player players' union. They're kind of trying to please them right now. One of the reasons why we probably didn't see Astro players suspended and only the guys that got in trouble or the guys that are non-players. What are your feelings as a longtime baseball fan? You grew up an American League guy. What do you think about the Universal DH? Yeah, no, I'm fine with it. I really am. I mean, yesterday I was joking about how, come on, pitchers, you know, I mean, we live for the Bartolo Colon taking James Shields deep moments. And that happened like – six or seven years ago now. So, you know, we've, we've been waiting for something else. Uh, for the most part, yeah, we want to see a, a DH. Um, and, and hopefully that means that certain guys are, are more attractive out there, right? And Edwin Encarnacion at the end of his career is only viable to basically half the league out there, right? I mean, that's kind of the way I see it. But I don't know. Um yeah, I'm all for it. I'm all for anything that makes the sport a little more interesting, and I think the the DH does make it more interesting. You know, Houston has a fire, and they need somebody to go down and put out the fire. 
and they went out and hired Dusty Baker today. What'd you think about the hiring of D Bake, getting him back in baseball? Great. Good. I mean, perfect. Really, really good. I, I can't tell you how many players I've talked to over the years who have played for multiple teams, and Dusty's been their favorite manager. Um, you know, he's 15th all time in wins. There's only two guys ahead of him that aren't in the Hall of Fame. Bruce Bochy will get there when he's eligible, and Gene Mock, I believe, is the other one. And Dusty has a chance to crack the top 10 if he sticks around a couple of years with this squad because they're still really good. Um, but I, I think he will support the players while also making sure that they're taking responsibility the proper way. He's an adult that treats the players like adults. And I, I think it's a, re- I think it's a really, really good hire. I get it. He's 70. I don't know where he stands on the whole analytic world. I really don't, but I know the guys want a hell of a lot of baseball games and maybe he hasn't won the most important one at the end of the season, but I'd still take my chances with him in this sort of, um, in this sort of area where the Astros are. I can tell you we had our fan fest on Saturday, and this Astros thing, our fan base is livid. I can tell you this year, one of the rivalries to watch, I can tell you, and I think you guys are going to talk a lot about it this year, is going to be the Astros and the A's. Yeah, I mean, uh, naturally, in part because the reason the Astros are where they are is because Mike Fires put his name on something. And, you know, it's not like when he he's never going to get a chance to hit against the Astros, but he's going to get a chance to pitch against them. And, you know, I talked to a lot of players this offseason, um, and they have varying temperatures on this whole thing. You know, a lot of them are very upset. Some are seeing red to the point where they're like, these guys are going to get hit a ton. Well, I mean, I don't know if that's going to happen because it's easy to say it in the middle of January when the report first comes out. But when we're all digging our spikes in come the end of March and it counts, are you still going to feel that same way? And what's going to happen? Are the Astros going to retaliate or are they just going to wear it? But I would agree with you that, I mean, listen, Oakland's won 97 games each of the last two years. Um, and Houston knows that they're not a joke. I mean, they're a really good baseball team. So I think it'll just make it more and more interesting. You know, we got the big four that we've been talking about this offseason potentially on the block, where you got Lindor of your Cleveland Indians. We're talking about Arenado of the Rockies, uh, Mookie Betts with the Red Sox, and Chris Bryant with the Cubs. And Lou Merloni, who recently has been on our program, just came out with that bombshell that uh, Mookie countered the Red Sox uh, 12 years, $420 million. He's very expensive. You're only going to get him for one year. He's going to test free agency. Arnado, they've talked about. Looks like he's staying put. I don't know about Lindor. But all of a sudden, Chris Bryant loses his decision with the arbiter against the Cubs. So he will now not be a free agent until after the 2021 season. Uh, Do you now see Chris Bryant being the number one guy out of those four to be traded? Well, I wouldn't make him the number one guy only because Lindor is two years younger and plays a premier position. Now, some people would argue, well, Chris Bryant can play all over the diamond. He certainly can. Um, He also has been banged up. I think that might scare a few teams away, but he and Lindor have the same amount of service time. So I would say, although it looks like at this point, 
there are more teams that would need a third baseman than need a shortstop. So maybe that makes it more interesting. But I said today on intentional talk, I didn't think Bryant was going to stay the last two years in Chicago. I think they're, I think they can upgrade their team in certain areas and feel like maybe they could get a replacement at third base that would be 70 cents on the dollar in terms of talent for Chris Bryant, but make it up elsewhere. Let's end on this. It's all about chemistry, and you just mentioned your show, Intentional Talk. It's a must-watch every single day. It's a fantastic show. The chemistry you have with Kevin Millar, it's something special. It looks like you guys are just having a great time every day. We do. And there aren't, we're very fortunate from this standpoint. There aren't a lot of shows where the hosts know each other that well before they sit down and start, you know, having a, having a show together. And sometimes the, you get along so well, you end up becoming friends. Kevin and I have been friends since 2003. You know, he used to come on the best damn sports show period all the time. Uh, we realized that we were basically the same age. His mom lived about 15 minutes from where I did at the time in L.A., so I'd get to see him in the offseason. And I was like, listen, when somebody's smart enough to realize that you can't play baseball anymore, give me a call and we'll do a show together. And that's what it is. I mean, and we just get along. And there's basically we could say whatever we want to each other, and we know we're not going to offend the guy. And I think that's when you're most comfortable in a relationship, right? You hang out with your boys. You don't have to worry about what's coming out of your mouth or what's coming out of his mouth, and you just kind of shoot it. You know what I mean? And oh, that's, yeah. That's how it rolls. And you you get along, and you can make fun of each other, and you can make fun of each other's families and not take it personally. And that's how we roll, and I hopefully people enjoy that side of it. Yeah, we enjoy it every single day, and I always appreciate your time and have a great time in Miami. We'll be watching you not only on Intentional Talk, but we'll be watching on the NFL Network. As always, appreciate it. Thanks. Well, our next guest here on A's Cast Live, bringing him back to the Bay is, of course, he's one of the great San Francisco Giants. He's on their wall of fame. He was an all-star. NL Rolaids Relief Man of the Year. Led the league in saves that year in 1996. And he's turned into a great broadcaster with the Cincinnati Reds. Jeff Brantley joins us once again. Jeff, thank you so much for taking the time. We appreciate it here in the offseason. Good to talk with you, Chris. So you know Dusty Baker well. What did you uh, think of that move by the Houston Astros to bring him in with all the chaos going on amongst the Astros in their organization? I think it's a great move. I mean, I've always admired Dusty. I've always thought that he was a, a great manager. I think he's he's gotten a terrible rap, not only from the, the analytic side, but the handling of pitcher side. I mean, I've, I've pitched for Dusty. I know how he does things, and he's always been, uh, at least from my perspective, not only from a broadcaster side, but especially from a pra- player side, um, he's as good as it gets if you're a player and he's your manager. You know, I think about the NL Central. Of course, last year the Cardinals won it, 91-71. and 71. The Brew Crew, they were the wild card team at 89-73. and 73. And you look down at the Reds at 75-87. and 87. But if you look at this offseason, I got to think down in Cincinnati, which is truly one of the best baseball towns that we have, I think with all the new additions, a lot of people down there got to be very excited. And I got to think the Reds have to be one of the favorites there in the Central. 
I think so, Chris. I think there are a lot of people that are, are really taking notice. I think there will be a, a lot more fans uh, interested in coming to the ballpark to watch this club play. I think there's a there's a big um, question mark out there as to far as far as the health of Nick Senzel and now a Eugenio Suarez. I'm sure you've seen that with him having surgery on his on his throwing shoulder. Uh, they say that Suarez will be back early in the year, and they're they're all talking about, at least our medical folks are talking about, Senzel being healthy when we get to spring training and allowing him to play. But I think any club, I, I don't care where you are in the division, and, and regardless of whether you're the New York Yankees or the Dodgers or the Reds or wherever you may be, when you add guys like Moustakas and Miley and Castellanos and I just think that they're all proven commodities, and I think they can only make your club that much better. You know, Castellanos wore out the A's last year. It was funny. You know, we go there to Detroit. He he wears us out there, and then they trade him to Chicago, and the A's had to play the Cubs, and, and, and he wore us out there too. I mean, just talk about he's a doubles machine. Just talk about the type of player that you're bringing in and in that ballpark too. Well, I, I think that's the key. But your last statement, Chris, is when you're when you're hitting doubles at Comerica, those really translate into a lot more home runs at Great American Ballpark. And I know there's been quite a few analytic sites that have taken the overlay of of where his balls landed, as far as how far the balls went, and what kind of home run numbers he would have had had he played all of those games in Great American Ballpark. And it would number uh, above 40. So I, I think when you when you look at Castellanos, and, and I'm I'm only looking at drive because I, I think everybody's year kind of goes a little up and down as as you go along because different set of circumstances, different pitchers that you face. But I think for Castellanos, and I would throw Mustakas in the same in the same boat. They are so highly competitive players, and with great drive to to be at the top of the game as far as their offensive numbers. And I think when you have players like that, uh, not only hitting in our ballpark makes it fun, but I think it makes it even that much more fun for the guys that, that are sitting next to them in the locker room. And, and I just look at the rotation and Castillo with that unbelievable changeup. Obviously, we love Sonny Gray from his time here. Trevor Bowers became a—he's become a friend of our program. We love having him on here on A's Cast. I, you mentioned the addition of Miley. Just talk about the starting rotation. As we now realize, it's bad news to overwork your bullpen. You need to have innings out of your starters. Yeah, and I don't know that that there are many clubs out there that are that are ready to to move in that direction. That we've seen so much more bullpen work and rarely do starting pitchers throw above 100 pitches especially going above the 110 pitch mark and i think we're we've kind of regressed back to the five inning starter throughout major league baseball but when you look at this starting staff with with the five guys that we have i would have no i mean i'll watch these guys pitch last year i'll have no problem matching him up with any other starting rotation in baseball. No problem at all. And I think that's a, that's a great positive when you talk about the additions we spoke about earlier. It just, it just makes you feel good about your team, knowing that you have a chance to win every fifth day 
regardless of who's pitching on the other side. Yeah, I think all of us got to see it where you start to overwork your bullpen, and then by the time you get to the postseason, and I think of the Yankees last year, the Yankees, you look at the names on the back of the jerseys, they had a great bullpen, but they just looked, yes, ga- they they just looked gassed in the postseason, though. Well, I, I think that every, every manager and, and pitching coaches have really looked at this as well. When you start looking at the science of the game and, and how much effectiveness you have with certain velocities, certain pitch numbers, there, there's so much more really critical review of guys in game scenarios. And I, and I think that's the, that's the issue that you're facing now because the last thing that you want to do as a, as a manager or as a pitching coach is let your guy go a little bit too long and then things fall apart. And, and I think you can always rely on that bullpen by saying, well, this guy only had to pitch one inning. I'm not using a guy that's already thrown 95 pitches. But you can only do that so long. I mean, I, I made my living out of the bullpen. You can only pitch so much. And, and what we see is the numbers on an everyday basis. We don't see how, as fans, we don't see – how many times that guy got up during the ball game? How many times he sat back down? And that's really where the wear and tear in the arm and the body comes from. A couple issues in baseball. I, 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 I want your opinion on it. First, I mean, obviously this wouldn't have affected you, but now we're going to have this rule that you got to face three guys. What do you think about that new rule for bullpen guys? I don't know that it affects right-handed pitchers that much. And for the majority of left-handers, I don't know that it really digs in there too deep. But I know, and you know this, Chris, we have gotten into a role of specialization out of that bullpen, specifically bringing in a lefty to face a lefty for one batter. And I think those are the guys that are really going to be hurt by this simply because that's going away. You've got to either come in and maybe face – that last batter and you get that last out of the inning and you don't have to come back. But if you've got to face three batters in an inning and you come out early in a ball game or early in an inning, I think it's going to change the way that, that managers manage. And it's also going to change the way that you make up your roster. You're not going to have a left-hander sitting in the bullpen if he can only get out left-handed batters, it's just not going to happen. Yeah, no doubt about it. And then the baseball. There's the conspiracy theory that the baseball in the postseason was different from the baseball during the regular season. What kind of baseball do you think we're going to have in 2020? I would say it's probably a a baseball that would be in between those two scenarios you threw out there. I don't know that you can drastically change it from one season to the next without having to answer a lot of questions. But I've been around this game long enough to know. I mean, 30 consecutive years of the big leagues, I've seen the ball change quite a bit. That ball last year that they had, especially for the first four and a half, five months of the season, I mean, that's a golf ball. And it was tough to make the ball spin. And when guys did hit the ball, the ball was just traveling so far, it was crazy. And then all of a sudden we see some kind of difference in the postseason. I don't think fans want to see that. I think they want to see the same thing, the same playing field, the same ability to compete, whether it's the first day of the season or whether it's the last game of the World Series. You know, last year when you guys were in Oakland, we honored your partner, Uh, Your colleague, Marty Brenneman, truly one of the great broadcasters of all time, just an absolute jewel. Uh, Just how different is it going to be this year without him? 
Well, I think any time that you take a, a veteran presence out of any any place, whether it's a business, a team, uh, in the broadcast booth, especially when when he's been my partner for 14 straight years, there there's going to be a bit of adjustment. Um, Marty made things easy for everybody, especially me, and, and I think that the camaraderie that we shared, the the great friendship that we shared, I, I think that came out over the air, and and that's something that. I've tried to, to really think about this offseason, knowing that Tommy Thrall is going to be my new partner, and try to bring him to a place where we can have those same type of really friendship com- conversations and try to help him understand that people want to know not just about what's going on on the baseball field, but you have to give them a little piece of yourself. And I think that's just part of Cincinnati radio, it's part of the Cincinnati feeling, and I think if you're going to broadcast in that town, um, you can't just be uh, balls and strikes and, and hits and outs. You have to give them a little piece of yourself because that's what people tune in for. Yeah, I was recently in Cincinnati with the Raiders. It was two seasons ago, and where wherever bar you go to, they got all the great memorabilia, and what a great – Cincinnati is such a great baseball town. But I want to end on this because – I'm old enough to remember when ESPN didn't have a whole lot of programming, and that's when they put the College World Series on. And in 1985, I was in eighth grade, and I'll never forget that team you guys had at Mississippi State where it's you, it's Will Clark, it's Bobby Thigpen, it's Rafael Palmero. I remember that, and that's when we led the College World Series on ESPN. When you look back at that team, God, that was truly one of the great college baseball teams of all time. It, it really was, Chris. And I think you you look at the talent level, even beyond the four guys that, that you mentioned, we, we had an awfully good club. But I, I think if you're a baseball fan and you've watched the game long enough you understand that four guys don't make a team. They, they, I don't care how good they are. You just can't carry a club like a quarterback does in football or like a great guard or great center does in basketball. It, it's a 25-man it's a 20, game, and that's, that's, how, that's how this game works. And I, I think that shows up over a, a long period of time. Uh, we, we had a great time at Mississippi State. We played great baseball. But when we got to the World Series, it there was just a couple of teams that were better than us, and, and there was nothing you could do about it. They were hot, and we were not. Yeah, but it was a great team. Jeff, thank you so much. Loved you as a player. You're doing a great job as a broadcaster. Keep up the great work. Have a wonderful season. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Chris. Take care. He's a two-time World Series champion. He is a two-time All-Star, a two-time Rawlings Gold Glove winner, it's Wednesday. That means it's Ray Fossey Day. Raymond Fossey, how are you? <laughs> Raymond, how are you, Chris Townsend? That's a great name, isn't it? Well, I, 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 have, to, I have to throw you under the bus because you were leaving FanFest without going no, no, to no, say no, hello no. to your buddy, Commander Cody. And I had to tell you, Commander Cody is going to be heartbroken if you just don't walk down and say hello to him. You know, if I had known Cody was where he was, I would have gone down there before I even talked to you. That's how important Cody is to your show. So I appreciate you telling me that. And I went down there and I saw right field Will, 
who, by the way, had on a Fosse jersey number 10. And I told Marcus Simeon, I said, I didn't wear a jersey today because, you know, you're the, you're the MVP candidate. You're the all-star. You're the man. So I just let you have exclusively number 10 today. But right field will had number 10 on. And I said, you're going to tweet this, aren't you? Sure enough, there it was. His, his back, I actually, is the, the, uh, the name on the back, and I was looking at it. So uh, it was there. But it was good to see Cody. Cody working hard as always, and uh, as I've always said, he's the best thing that happened to Uncle Tony. Well, your your guys's on stage was pretty cool. So Bip Roberts was there, yeah. you you were there, Ken Korak, and then you throw in the two Hall of Famers, Dennis Eckersley yeah. and Raleigh Fingers. You caught both those guys. That was a pretty special panel you guys had at Fan Fest. You know, you're exactly right, and and the memories of catching Raleigh and and. You know, the difference, Tony, in the two with, with Raleigh Fingers, and he brought it up, and I was going to remind everybody if he did not, and that he came in in game one of the World Series against the Dodgers in Los Angeles. Kenny Holtzman had pitched four and a third innings, and here comes Raleigh in to pitch four and a third innings himself. And then the late, great Catfish Hunter coming in to strike out Joe Ferguson for the final out of the game. But to catch him, to see his perfection, and to know – Again, as he said, he was horrible as a starter because he had to think too much. As a reliever, he sat in the bullpen. Tommy, he had the type of arm, and again, you as a pitcher can appreciate the fact that the rubber arm type of an arm that Raleigh had in that he could pitch every day. And I think that's what made him so so special for both Dick Williams and Alvin Dark in those three consecutive world championships. And then, of course, Dennis Eckersley, having caught him in Cleveland as a starting pitcher, I remember telling him, I think it was 1975, I was still with the A's uh, at the time, and he was with the Indians just coming up, and I said, hey, kid, you're going to win 20 games. You're going to win 20. You, you've got great stuff. You're going to win 20. And little did I know that I would be catching him the next year in 76, and, of course, in 77 on Memorial Day, catching his no-hitter. But just as important, Tony, I think, to be with the Athletics as a broadcaster, and Eck was still pitching, came to the Athletics, and as, again, as he mentioned, I, I think it was appropriate that Tony Marusa kind of changed everything with regard to the closer by saying to Dennis Eckersley, I'd rather use you three or four times a week rather than maybe once or twice as a starter. As a reliever, I can use you more. Tony, he could paint with the best of them. Uh, his, his control was just off the chart. He became a tremendous closer after being a very successful starting pitcher, winning over 100 games and including the no-hitter. But to get 390 saves as a closer, just a remarkable career for Dennis Eckersley. And I'll be honest with you, he probably would admit that had he not become a closer, he probably would not be writing HOF04 under his name that, uh, with his autograph. Just, uh, it, it's, that made him a tremendous all-around pitcher. And, and one, I think John Smoltz, I said it the other day, um, I think Eck was the only one, maybe John Smoltz, who was a starter, became a reliever, and then a starter again. I don't know if he amassed 300 saves. You'd have to look it up in the um, encyclopedia to see exactly. But regardless, there are only two, maybe just Eck, to win 100 games as a starter over 300 saves as a reliever, as a closer. And Dennis Eckersley was superb immediately. I called him, uh, Townie, to congratulate him when he was selected uh, to go into the Hall of Fame in January of 2004. And we were having our first pitch um, – function over in the arena at the Coliseum. That's when the arena was the arena. And I remember he said, tell the people there, I'm going to go in as an Oakland athletic. I told them that at that, that meeting of season ticket holders, 
and they of course cheered loud, very very loudly. But uh, you know he's a uh, he's an Oakland A, true and true all the way through. Growing up in Fremont, play, you know, growing up a Giants fan as he admitted, and then playing for the Athletics, beating the Giants, getting the final out in the World Series in the sweep in 1989. It was a a, a very good story for the great Dennis Eckersley. He's a hell of a guy, and he's probably the most brutally honest yep. former player that I've ever interviewed, and he's so hard on himself. I mean, he was yep. greatness, but, I mean, his honesty is, is like no other. Tony, that's why I wanted him to explain a couple of things. Number one, for everybody who looks at the walk-off as being a success, he admitted, he said, no, a walk-off is terrible. He said, I had to walk off with Kirk Gibson hitting the home run. That was me walking off the mound, dejected, having given up the home run and costing the A's the game, as he said. And, and number two, to be able to give up that home run to Kirk Gibson and stand in front of his locker in Los Angeles and talk to everybody. He didn't run. He didn't go to the, to the lunch room or the, the, the trainer's room until everybody left. No, he stood in front of his locker and he talked to everybody. And I think that's an exceptional person to be able to do that. But the other thing, Tony, I think is that whenever Eck, whenever he, he would do that fist pump at the end of the game, and I remember asking him that one time, and, and I brought it up again on, on the stage at the fan fest, whereas Raleigh would be in the bullpen because he may come in in the third or fourth inning and pitch four or five innings, whereas Eck would have this routine where he'd sit in the clubhouse, ice or heat on his shoulder, watch the game, and you could only imagine the roller coaster effect for Dennis Eckersley as the A's are leading, the A's are behind. The A's are back leading again, they're behind. All of a sudden leading, so his, his whole body and mind is up and down, up and down. He'd walk to the bullpen, and then he would come into the game. And for him, whenever he did that fist pump, he said, and I agree with him, he said it was a release because when you're the closer, and both of those guys were tremendous, but when you're the closer, that means you're the guy that they want to finish the game. There's nobody to follow you because, as Eck again said, it's the guys leading up to the closer who probably deserve all the accolades because Rick Honeycutt, Gene Nelson, guys like that did a tremendous job leading up to Eckersley. And just like the group of guys helped get to Raleigh Fingers, even though he helped himself more times than not by pitching as many innings as he did. But you're right about Dennis Eckersley, self-deprecating. I mean, there is nobody – who would get on himself more than anybody and so honest in everything that he says. It's just, it's just really amazing because, you know, as we get older, you try to forget about some of those things, but Dennis Eckersley has never done that. He has always been one to be upfront with everybody. And I'm glad you said that because I know having caught him that he's that way, very hard on himself. And then being part of the A's broadcast team, whenever he was closing games, knowing that everything that he did was not to show up anybody on the other team. It was saying, ha, oh, I did it, because it was a tremendous release after what I said before about him sitting in the clubhouse getting ready to go in the game. George Strait, the great country singer, one of his stars is the fireman. He goes, they call me the fireman. I'm thinking that's Dusty Baker. Dusty Baker's become hey, the I'm fireman. Not. He's got to go to Houston, Foss, and he's got to put this fire <laughs> out. What, what do you think of the hiring of Dusty Baker with the Astros? Number one, I could not be happier for Dusty Baker. Number two, it's going to help the Astros because you need someone who's like Dusty Baker. I just saw the list of guys who would be managing a game at seven, age 70, and Dusty Baker, I mean, he wanted to manage, 
he got the shaft in Washington. I mean, they had a lot of success, but sometimes if you don't win a World Series, see you later. And I think that's what happened to Dusty. But I'm happy for him to get the job back. You know what's interesting? The fact that this will be twice that Dusty Baker is going to manage an all-star team having not been with the team the year before when they won or played in the World Series, as was the case when the Giants, and I think he said he wore a Cubs uniform managing the Cubs. He'll wear an Astros uniform managing the All-Star game in Los Angeles where he played and had a very good career playing for the Dodgers. But, you know, it, it, I, we've talked about it before, and I mentioned Joe Madden. You look at the American League Western Division, you've got some very good managers in the division. You take Joe Madden with the Angels. Now you put Dusty Baker with the Astros. We know how great Bob Melvin is. Those are three very good managers. And then you have Chris Woodward in his second year managing the, the Rangers. And uh, up in Seattle, I don't think – I mean, even their general manager wants the trophies given to them for 17 and 18. But they're, not, they're going to be a while before they, they contend. So uh, I think Scott Service, their manager, is there. But it's a rebuild for them for quite a while. But couldn't be happier for Dusty because he's a good man. He was with the A's a minimal amount of time. And I remember going on our fan fest, um, our caravan, we called it back then, and with Dusty, and he would be out and about. But uh, he's been a good player throughout his career. The on-deck circle with Hank Aaron hit number 715. And, of course, managing and doing a great job. Probably the only negative about Dusty was in 2002. You remember the incident in Los in Anaheim? When he walked out, it was it Ortiz? I uh, can't remember the starting pitcher. Right, it was Russ Ortiz. Whatever. Russ Ortiz. He gave him the ball, and the Angels went, oh, really? What are you doing? And, of course, they came back with that memorable uh, win and then, of course, won it, won it in seven games. But, you know, some of the things. But, but you know, you figure at that point you've got a lead. You've got to win the game. Let the guy have the baseball. But sometimes there's, there are little things that ignite an opposing team. And the Angels were, they were very observant of that incident. And uh, looking back on it, uh, whether Dusty would have done it, he probably would have anyway. It just didn't happen. It wasn't the Giants' time to win in 2002, as, as that was the case. But I'm happy for him because, uh, like I said, he's a good man. And uh, I remember one time, Tony, I was talking to him when he was managing the Cubs. And I thought it was an interesting story because talking about former players. Now, the Cubs have a pretty good history of, of Hall of Famers and Billy Williams and Ferguson Jenkins and, and uh, the late Ron Santo and just a, a very good group of players, former players. And they go to spring training. And I remember when Dusty was managing the Cubs, I was talking to him, and I said, how do you deal with the players when they come in, the former players? And he said, it's great to have them on the field. You know, we just kind of pay their expenses. They don't want any money. They're just happy to be in uniform. And he said, I had these meetings. And there was a meeting that he – was going to have with his players, and the guest was going to be Ferguson Jenkins, who had a tremendous career. So he, instead of introducing him, because all the players said, oh, here we go again, Dusty's bringing in some old player. So he starts putting the statistics of Ferguson Jenkins on the blackboard, the chalkboard. And all of a sudden, the eyes opened up of the players. Who is this guy? 20-game winner, all, all-star, all this thing, all of famer. Ferguson Jenkins, and it just—it was such a tremendous way to introduce somebody because it just, instead of just saying, "Here's Billy Williams, Hall of Famer," and like, "Oh, a big deal," you know. But when you put the numbers on a board where they visibly can see who this person is, they're going, "Wow!" And I've always said, Tony, you look at the back of a baseball card, you can tell a lot about a baseball player. And Fergie Jenkins and those Cubs that uh, Dusty Baker managed with the Cubs 
really said a lot. But, uh, again, very happy for him. Uh, I, I think he's going to do a tremendous job with the Astros. I think the Astros and, and Jim Crane are very fortunate to have hired somebody who can lead this ball club, especially with the turmoil. I mean, Dustin's not going to be a part. He's going to be part of managing the team. He's not going to be part of all the booing that the Astros are going to hear as they go in each part. But uh, I think he's going to do a very good job with the Astros because, they, as he said, they have a good team. He's been watching them, and uh, they do have a good team. It's just a matter of something that happened. And, and time will tell when we see or don't hear any trash cans and all the other things, see how good they are, especially at home. That will be the telltale sign. Oh, the rivalry between the A's and the Astros <laughs> is going to be electric in 2020. And it, it, is, it, it is, yeah. And a point to be made, because Billy Bean made this point to me, and then I thought about this also. Like I was, I was talking with Billy, and Billy's like, yeah, I mean, you forget that Frankie Montas is coming back for a full season and how well exactly. he threw the ball. I mean, that's adding like a free agent pitcher. And then if Chris Davis can back, get back to being a 40-home-run, 100-RBI guy, that's like adding two free agents to a team that won 97 games. Tony, I couldn't agree with you more, and especially for Frankie Montas, remembering how well he pitched in Anaheim against the Angels. It was September, and you'd think, well, yeah, he's going to be rusty. Tony, it was just like he had pitched the three months before. And I think that says a lot about Frankie. He learned a lot. He was at FanFest. He was the big boy. He stood up to it just like Mike Fires did in the whole thing. And I think Frankie Montas, learning as much as he did, and especially to stay in shape, pitching every fifth day while he was suspended to be ready to go whenever he did come back. And I would think that maybe you would say, well, why would you give this guy a chance? I think his teammates, watching him pitch, knowing him, knowing how much he means to the organization, and especially in the rotation, I think they were ecstatic, number one, to see him come back and pitch, and especially number two, to see him pitch as well as he did. So you throw in Fires and Montas from the right side, and then there's three pretty good lefties. And I heard your interview with uh, Jesus Lazardo. This kid is going to be outstanding. And A.J. Puck, two lefties there, and, of course, Sean Manaya, those guys, and, and like Manaya, just like as you mentioned about Montas, Montas missed time for one reason, uh, Sean and I missed, missed some time for another reason. So you get both of those guys back healthy, and the other three, that's a very good five-man rotation. The bullpen, the, the position players, it's an exciting time of the year because, Tony, we congratulate the 49ers. The Super Bowl is this Sunday. Everybody in the Bay Area hopes the 49ers win, but it is the beginning of baseball starting Monday because at that point, everything was football, basketball still is playing. They'll play till summertime. But as far as the baseball is concerned, it's going to be happening quickly. And I think that's one of the greatest things about the Super Bowl in that baseball. You can start really thinking about it after that. USA Today Sports Magazine Sports Weekly has been doing each week the five potential things for each baseball team. They've been doing the depth charts and they give you some key numbers. And one of the key numbers here, it's, it's shocking. The A's won 97 games. But they had 32 blown yeah. saves. 30. You win 97 games and you had 32 blown that? saves? That's crazy. Well, I talked to Liam Hendricks about that at the Fan Fest. And he said, you know, I, I was, you know, I had, I, I think he knew exactly, he said I had four of those. I said, what, coming in with the bases loaded, nobody out with a one-run lead? I mean, sometimes it's impossible 
to get a save. And, and in a case like that, you give up a run, it's a blown save. But, you know, I don't know exactly how many of those 32 ended up being winning games. But I agree with you, Tony. If you cut that in a half or even a, drop a fourth off, look how many more wins you're going to have. And I think that is going to be much better. Uh, the fact that Liam did what he did, and we're all very thankful that he, he was able to take over in that closer role. He's going into 2020 as the closer, I would assume, because uh, nobody else is there. Lou Trevino. Hey, how about Lou Trevino? He's going to come back. He had an off year last year. He's going to come back and have a great year setting up. You've got all these guys to set up to get to Liam Hendricks. Starters are going to pitch well. The position players are going to hit and play defense. I thought it is a good ball club. And I, I think the Wendell of opportunity is there for this team. And I think the fans are going to be able to support a team that's going to be very successful starting in late March at the Coliseum against the Minnesota Twins on that Thursday afternoon. When is Ray Fossey getting down to spring training? Tommy, you know what? I'm always ready, but, you know, the position players will be there on the 17th. We broadcast on the 22nd. Obviously, we'll be there for that. I'll probably be ready to go to watch the players as soon as the pitchers and catchers show up. And, and position players, they'll probably have an inter-squad game. But it's, it's always funny to me, Tony, to think about it. And, again, uh, people don't like talking about the past. But, you know, there was a time when the mandatory reporting date was March 1st. And you had to be in camp 10 days before you could play a game. The A's first game is on the 22nd of February. By the 10th of March, under the old circumstances, how many games will the A's have already played? And the fact that 10 days later, they're going to play a Friday night, play Saturday, leave on the 22nd. So 12 days after what we had as a reporting date, or our first game to be played, 12 days after that, the A's will be back in the Bay Area getting ready for the Bay Bridge Series and the season. So... What happens now, Tony, is the fact that these players, when the season's over, they may take a week or two. I don't know exactly all the schedule. I know J.B. Wendelkin said he's been pumping, working out all winter uh, because of uh, his, his workout plan, a program that was given to him. But we, when we worked, I mean, we went to spring training to get in shape, whereas these guys, if you're showing up as a position player on the 17th of February and your first game is on the 22nd, you better be ready to go. And if you're an everyday player, a position player every day, you're not going to get maybe more than two at-bats, but you have to be ready to go. And I think that's the difference in baseball where changes have been made to where these players stay in shape, they're ready to go, and because of that, they are very, very good players. And let's just hope that uh, they can stay healthy. That's always the key in spring training. What's the, what's the key for the season? Players staying healthy. Let's hope that these teams or these players do stay healthy because if they do, Man, it's going to be an exciting time for the Oakland A's. I just need to know, have you charged your battery? Oh, oh, oh my battery's charged. You know it's charged, Tony. I'm, <laughs> Tony it's, as, as soon as that wild card game was over, I was upset for a day, started recharging my batteries. I've been charged up and ready to go. You know that. Ready I, to go. Just I, talking to you gets me charged up. But, no, I am ready to go, and uh, it, it's – Really, baseball, there, there's nothing better than baseball. You can say, and, and nothing against the other professional sports, but my goodness, there is nothing better than baseball, man, because play 162 games, you go out, fans get to enjoy baseball at the Coliseum on a beautiful sunny afternoon or in the evening, be able to see the green grass and, uh, you know, under the lights or uh, under the sunlight, 
either way, it's a great opportunity to watch baseball. What an exciting time. And, you know, I've always said, too, that baseball is a team sport made up of a bunch of individuals. You like to have those individuals be very good to create, create a very good team because if the team wins, everybody's happy. The team is happy. The fans are happy. Everybody looks forward to a successful team. You don't have a successful team without good players. The A's have the good players, but I think working together, as these players do, and working hard under Bob Melvin and his staff, they are ready to go. We are charged. I know you're charged. You're always ready to go, as you showed on uh, FanFest on Saturday. Which, What was the final number? I heard 22,000, 32,000. 32. Did they get a final 32,000? Yeah. Wow. Very exciting. That was good. You did a great job introducing everybody, which you always do. And uh, let's just hope that Dallas Braden's okay. Did we ever figure out exactly what he had a foot or leg injury that prohibited him from coming? Yeah, it's his foot. I don't know. I'll I'll, I'll check in on it and I'll text you. That'd be good. That'd be good. Now, this is an exciting time, Tony. And to answer your question, my batteries are always charged when it comes to baseball. Baseball, it's a great game, and it's always been a great game and will continue to be. Two-time World Series champion, two-time Gold Glover, two-time Rawlings Gold Glove winner, two-time All-Star, the great Ray Fossey. Enjoy the Super Bowl, and we'll talk to you next Wednesday. Tommy, it's always great talking to you. Cody, keep doing a great job, and you are doing a tremendous job, Tommy, keeping everybody informed during the offseason about the great upcoming season for the 2020 Oakland Athletics. Good to see you, or good to talk to you. I look forward to seeing you, as always. You're the best. David Schoenfield joins us here on A's Cast Live. David, how are you? I'm good. What's going on? I I was just talking about, you know, because we get to see Patrick Mahomes twice a year with the Raiders, and I'm on the sidelines, and this guy is such an amazing athlete with a great arm. Uh, you, you covered his dad. I, I could have easily have seen Patrick Mahomes playing in Major League Baseball, whether it's a pitcher or a position player. He's an incredible athlete with an unbelievable arm. <laughs> yeah, no doubt about it. You know, it does raise sort of that larger issue of how baseball can attract these elite athletes. And I think maybe they haven't done as good a job of that the last two decades as, as they could. Um, you know, we, we see a lot of these great athletes choosing to play football or basketball or, or even soccer, you know, which is why we're seeing, I think, more and more Latin players. Some of the best American board athletes are playing other sports. You have an article up on ESPN.com. It's Mookie Watch. <laughs> so uh, what is the latest on Mookie Betts, Dodgers, Padres, Mets? Yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of just waiting uh, like you guys are. I mean, certainly, uh, you know, this week uh, the rumors seem to really have heated up. Um, look, by all accounts, the Red Sox, are determined to trade him. You know, I don't necessarily get it. One of the richest franchises in the sports. I know they had a, you know, down year for them last year. I think they had the talent to compete. But if you trade one of the best players in the game, you're pretty much punning on the playoffs for for 2020. But they want to get under the luxury tax. They got some big payroll issues in the future. They're not going to re-sign them. So, I don't know. Looks like Dodgers, maybe Padres. You know, I understand why Mike Trout got over $400 million because Mike Trout, who you know, we got to see him in division, and he kills us every single year. But what, 
<laughs> what he means to the Angels is everything, so I understand it. But the minute Mookie gets traded, whatever franchise, there's not going to be that love of he came up, he's one of our guys. So uh, Lou Merloni, who, you know, friend of the program, we've had him on, he he, he busts out that 12-year, $420 million. Do you really think Mookie Betts will get over $400 million from somebody in free agency? Uh, you know... I don't. I, I'm skeptical of that number. Look, if the Red Sox and they've tried to negotiate with Mookie through the years for whatever reason, Betts wants to head into free agency and see what he'll get on the market. Uh, maybe he doesn't want to play in Boston. I don't know. Mookie's very. He keeps to himself, so you don't really know the reasons there. But um, I'm with you. He'll be 28 in 2021. So that's you know he's not as young as Harper Machado were. When they hit for agency, he's better. He's a better all-around player than either of those two. But, yeah, $400 million, that's a lot for a guy who you got to factor in. How will his defense age as he loses a step? Will he have the same home run numbers away from Fenway? He's a dead pull hitter. He loves the monster. Um, I think 400 is a little high, as good as Mookie is. Yeah, that's a that's a lot of money, boy. <laughs> a lot of money. Yep. <laughs> and then there, then another story which is interesting in baseball is just a straight swap of third basemen: Chris Bryant, Nolan Arenado, Rockies, Cubs. What do you think about that rumor? <laughs> um, I, I I guess it makes some sense you know the Rockies they're not really sure what land they're in are we competing are we rebuilding Arenado clearly unhappy doesn't want to be there after the disastrous year last year and all the trade rumors so you would trade two years uh, you'd get Bryant who's under control for two years you trade Arenado who has an opt-out after two years I guess the Cubs would be banking on Arenado going there and wanting to stay there. But there's no guarantee he has that opt-out after 2021. Talent-wise, you know, slight edge to Arenado Bryant. I'm a little worried. He's had some back issues here and there the last couple of years. I'm a little worried if he's going to stick at third base long-term. But for a year or two, he can, he can, he's probably still a third baseman. But, yeah, we'll see. You don't see those kinds of trades uh, very often, do you? No. And then I look at uh, – we, we, we check the stats for – Arnado home versus away, get him off the mountain, right? So at home, career, he has a 995 OPS. You put him on the road, it drops all the way down to 799. How much would that worry you for a team when you're not you're not going to get his Coors Field numbers? Well, maybe. Here's why. I think there's there's a well-grounded theory when you talk to Rockies players that the problem Playing there is when you go on the road, suddenly you're seeing breaking balls that break a lot more than they do in Coors Field. So I think the road effects really hurt Rockies players. Look what D.J. LeMahieu did last year when he went to New York. He had the best year of his career. Um, Matt Holliday, when he left Colorado, he had plenty of big seasons. Larry Walker was old when he went to St. Louis after leaving Colorado. He still hit. So... I think Arenado in a different park, a normal park, will be fine on the road. Maybe not quite his Coors Field numbers overall, but I think he's still going to be a, you know, 850 OPS or something like that overall. So we have some legendary 
baseball rivalries because of the history, whether you talk Yankees and Red Sox, Giants, Dodgers, but then you have rivalries that are just organic and they come up because of what's going on in situations. I can't tell you after Fan Fest we had on Saturday how much everybody's looking forward to Astros A's this year. It's going to be electric, these series against each other, because it is now game on. They don't like each other. The whole the whole Mike Fires confirming the uh, the cheating scandal. What do you think about A's Astros in 2020? Yeah, I tell you what, I would love, I don't know when their first series is against each other, but I would love to, to be at that one, that's for sure. Especially if it's in Oakland. I can only imagine all your fans getting on the Astros players. Anyway, Houston's going to face that every stadium they play in. So there's going to be some, you know, some mental uh, adjustments going on there for Astros batters. But, yeah, let alone the division race. Look, I think it's going to be neck and neck this year. I'm still debating on who who I'm going to pick to win the division, but um, I love I love where your club is at this year. Yeah, for the Astros, the way it's going to start for them, you know, they wish it would have been somewhere in the Midwest, uh, maybe <laughs> even in the East, but they're going to start out West. Their first series is in Anaheim. Their second series is in Oakland. They're going to get an earful right out of the gate. Oh yeah, yeah, no doubt, and. I think there's also going to be a natural inclination for for the players to be pressing a little bit potentially, you know, that we hey we got to show that we're good, we're not good just because we were cheating. Um, so you know, and they get off to a slow start, and they start questioning themselves. You never know. Yeah, like there's no doubt the Astros and everything going on with them is going to be one of the the big stories of the season, especially those first couple months. Yeah, Dusty Baker now has to put out that yep. fire, but I don't know if that fire can be put out. And I just wonder at what point it's kind of like human nature to where guys are going to start saying to writers like yourself, hey, off the record, it wasn't me, it was this guy. <laughs> Do you think we're going to start getting that once we get this team together in spring training in the start of the year? Yeah, look, and they're going to have to face this. Every new city they go into, all the local writers are going to want to go in there and talk to them about it. So they're going to have to have a strategy on how they answer these questions. You know, yeah, okay, spring training, you get through your Houston media, you get through all the national guys that will go through, but then the regular season kicks in. You go to Anaheim, you got to deal with Angels writers and Oakland and so on. Yeah, so what's their strategy, you know? The last thing I think you want to do, though, is what you just said. You don't want to say, not me, it was the other guys. You don't want to throw your teammates under the bus, even if they're not on the team anymore. Um, So I think they collectively need to just take this on their shoulders and say, we did it, we were wrong, we apologize, it was a mistake, we're not doing it anymore, our numbers will show that we can play this game. Did you agree with how baseball handled it, where they only named four people, and obviously those four weren't players, of course, Beltron right. not playing anymore, and they they gave the players immunity to, to, to give up what, and I still think there's more than what baseball's telling us, but did you like the fact that players are not going to be disciplined? Yes and no. I think in the end, MLB, I don't think they really had any other choice because if you don't do that, a, are you going to get the real truth behind what went on? And B, you're going to have a protracted 
legal situation with the MLB Players Association. You know, there's a reason nobody talked much back in the steroids day, because you don't want to be punished, and they're protected by the union. I think MLB, they wanted to get this investigation done as quick as possible. You know, look, the last thing you'd want is this cloud hanging over the sport for two years or whatever, right? So bang, 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 you had to come to a resolution, even if you aren't covering everything that happened or investigating all the teams. Do you think something major is going to happen to the Red Sox? (laughs) Yeah, I think so. I think they're going to – you know, get a similar punishment. Obviously, they've already fired their manager, their GM. They fired last year, so um, it won't affect those two individuals. But, yeah, I think it's going to be, you know, you're going to get that $5 million fine at the minimum. That's the maximum that could be a fine. They're going to lose draft picks. Um, so other than, you know, the get rid of the manager and GM who are already gone, it's going to be similar punishment. I have fun, Heimblum. <laughs> I mean, yeah, right, you know. Oh, of course, he took that job right before all this came out. So, uh, you know, he's one of the bright young minds in the game. He, he was part of that terrific, you know, front office in Tampa Bay. And he comes in, you got to deal with the cheating scandal. Your ownership's telling you you got to trade Mookie Betts. You know, yeah, exactly. Well, let's end on this. I'm asking everybody, the big game on Sunday, the Super Bowl, what's the one dish, what's the one food you have to have for your Super Bowl party? <laughs> uh, well, that's a good question. My neighbors are throwing the party this year. I don't know what they have on, on tap, but uh, I don't know. I'm kind of traditional, just like a, a big thing of nachos loaded with cheese and meat. and you know That would be my go-to Super Bowl food. I love it. You like the Chiefs or you <laughs> like the Niners? Uh, I'm going Chiefs, no reason other than, um, what, 50 years since they've won. I'm an old AFC West guy. I'm from Seattle, so even though the Seahawks are in the NFC, I remember all those old Chiefs, uh, Seahawks uh, clashes from the uh, from the 80s. So, uh, go Chiefs. Oh, Steve Largent and Jim Zorn. That was the good old day. Kurt Warner, the good old days. Hey, Kurt Warner, you know, he had that great rookie year. Tore up his knee first game of his uh, second season. If he hadn't been injured, he would have been one of the all-time great running backs. Kenny Easley. There was a lot of good Seahawks back in the day. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then, of course, the kingdom was packed. We had the wave, right? We invented the wave. I know I think other uh, cities might claim they invented it. No, Seattle invented the wave. Get over it, people. And the kingdom, that was rocking in the 80s. David, we always appreciate the time. We promote your articles all the time on ESPN.com. Be well. Enjoy the Super Bowl. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks for having me on. He is the host of my new favorite show called The Power Alley. Mike, I've been talking about you all day. How have you been? Haven't seen you since San Diego. How's life? Uh, It's great, although I have to say that I'm a little disappointed that if you've been talking me up and I didn't get my way on the show card, what does Dave Cavill have over me? Um, That's a great point. (laughs) Scratch Cavill, it's fairing all day. All right, so I I told told your partner, Jim Duquette, so uh, I I, I got a new car, 
And obviously, when you get a new car, you get Sirius XM. And I didn't have it in my old uh-huh. car. And I, 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 I'm a commuter, so I, I take these cars to the brink. My old car almost had 300,000 miles on it. I had to get rid of it. So I get in it. So I want to prove to you that you are my new favorite show. As I take my kids to school, they go, "Oh my God, we got to listen to this again." I go, "Yes." And you guys were bre- <laughs> you guys were breaking down the Mets today. We were, yeah. Steve Gelbs was helping us out, but talking about, I think they're a pretty interesting team. I mean, they're they're good. They they won what? I don't have it in front of me. I think it was eighty-seven games last year, and that was with a, a rough bullpen. And I think they've got a deep rotation and and uh, you know a solid offensive team. They're a really intriguing uh, squad, and I think they have a chance to to compete with the Braves. I mean, I think we we love to play like the LOL Mets game, right? Like that. There's always some sort of goofiness that seems to happen with the Mets and I think part of that just being the way that they're covered in New York but like that's a talented squad that has a legitimate chance I mean I, Steve made a good point today and the, the way their lineup shakes out like Robinson Cano is going to get sixth <laughs> it's pretty good yeah and, and the pitching that they have and I and I want to tell you this too I, I'm addicted to your guys channel it's channel 89 for me in my car the tribute you did for Tony Gwynn was phenomenal. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that was uh, we did that with the uh, All Star Game in San Diego a couple of years ago, and we, um, um, you know, we've had a, a real great opportunity the last several years to do some kind of cool specialty programming based around um, All Star Games. So we got to be a part of the Gwyn Special this last year. We did something on the movie Major League. Um, I'm not even sure what we have planned yet for the Dodgers next year, but we've had some some pretty cool things that have happened over the course of the last couple of years, and it's it's nice. I mean, you know, I mean, Tony, you guys have a freedom there to be able to create unique programming is a lot of fun, and we have some really talented producers that really drive the bus on that. You know, a, a, a very interesting article in the Athletic by our friends Eno Saris and Jason Stark. Just talking about 2016 Astros versus 2017, it is so hard for me to believe that Major League Baseball put out there that, oh, this was 2017, that the Astros hitters struck out a ton in 2016, and ever since then, they don't strike out in 17, 18, and 19 like they used to. It's so hard for me to believe that you use this technology, you won a World Series, and then you said, you know what, guys, we're now not going to use it in 18 and 19. I have such a hard time believing that. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think it depends on on you know whether or not they were seeing benefit. If more teams were onto the idea, because certainly you heard rumors that the the Astros were uh, stealing signs. And listen, this is not to absolve anybody else in this. We you hear that about a lot of teams, right? Like, oh, they're doing it. Um, and so you wonder if teams were more cautious going in, um, and if that's one of the reasons why they stopped did stop doing it in 2018 is because they weren't getting the benefit because teams um, were um, were more aware of what was going on or, or had an idea of what was going on or were more paranoid about things that were going on. So um, I'm not sure whether or not they did or they didn't. I think that that article was interesting. I was like Rob Arthur's article from yesterday in Baseball Prospectus was interesting in talking about how. Um, they may not have benefited that much on a swing, no swing percentage. And, um, you know, I tried to press Rob a little bit on it because I, I would think that you know, if you're, I mean, you know this, if you're, if you're going to see more off speed or have a better idea of when off speed is coming, 
you're probably going to take and maybe get yourself into better advantage counts. And that's something I think that they're going to continue to research at BP. So, um, you know, like I, I think the fact that they, that they, you know, got caught now, you know, hopefully means that we're playing a little bit cleaner in the future, but I don't know that you can say for sure in 18 and 19. I, I do think that it's the worst part of it is that like, you know, we're talking about some really, really talented players that probably didn't need this anyway in order to succeed. Uh, and to watch that continue, you know, as it's gone on over the last couple of years, or at least bring the last couple of years into doubt, I think is a real, you know, I mean, they've done it to themselves, but it's a real disappointment. You know, we'll see in spring training when the national people show up and start questioning them, and we'll see what happens. You know, they, you know, are they going to apologize? Are they going to admit to anything? Are they going to? We'll, we'll see how they handle it. But the the first two series for the Astros, it's going to be fascinating. I think we're all going to be talking about it. The first series of the year for them is at Anaheim. Second series is up here in Oakland. Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna hear it, and there's already a group of Dodgers fans that have uh, decided that they're gonna make the trip uh, up to Anaheim to <laughs> taunt the Astros. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why their Dusty Baker hire was so important because I think Dusty's gonna do a good job of keeping a lot of those questions uh, and a lot of the attention off their players, and that they're gonna try and go out there and play. But it's gonna be it's gonna come up a lot. It's gonna be there's gonna be a huge focus on it. Over the course of the season, they're going to have to answer all sorts of story, uh, all sorts of questions of it. It's just not going to go away, and really, nor should it. I mean, unless you get the apology that you feel really feel like you want or need from it. I mean, they, they did this to themselves, and they have escaped punishment in the eyes of Major League Baseball, and and they should have to answer for it everywhere they go because they clearly cheated. Yeah, and I use A-Rod as a great example. Like, A-Rod lied and lied and lied, was suspended, and then he came out and said sorry. And now he's one of the faces of baseball again on, on Sunday Night Baseball and on Fox doing pre and post during the playoffs. All he had to do was say sorry, and we're forgiving. We'll tear you down, but if you say sorry, we forgive you. They need to go the A-Rod route. Yeah, I mean, I think so, too. I think so, too. I mean, I, I didn't even think A-Rod's apology was as good. Like, I think the better example is also is almost Jason Chiambi, right? When Jason Chiambi was accused in the Balco you know, investigation, he basically he said, I'm sorry. He's like, I made mistakes. I was terrible. You know, this is a terrible idea. This was awful. I'm sorry I did it. And Jason Chiambi was one of the most beloved players throughout that last portion of his career that you could find. And I think that that's – I think it's when you make a mistake, if you're willing to own it, um, that's the key. We haven't seen the Astros players own it yet. Their owner says that they're going to own it. Um, we'll see what happens when they get to camp in West Palm. Let's get into your division. How about the D-backs making a ton of moves since the last time we've talked? Yeah, it's been a busy winter. Um, it's been fun. You know, we, we touched a little bit, I think, last time we were together was at the winter meetings, right? We actually got yeah. to see each other face-to-face. I get to see your beautiful face. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, we, had, we had beers in San Diego. We did. We did. You even bought them, which I couldn't believe. I'm very <laughs> impressed. Yeah, so that A's cast money is going to work. Oh, well, so. yeah. We, we, we have a very large budget here. Um, uh, actually, actually, it was dipping into Uncle Townie's money is what it was. But, yeah, I mean, I mean, the, you just had a trade with the Pirates. You got Madison Bumgarner. Mm-hmm. I, where do you see the D-backs 2020 compared to the Los Angeles Dodgers, who really haven't done a whole heck of a lot? 
Yeah, I'm not sure that the Dodgers needed to do a whole lot. I mean, I think that's kind of the position that they're in is that they're, you know, they're out front of everybody by a fairly wide margin and everybody has to do something else to catch up. And that's not just vision, but I think in a ta- from a talent level in the National League, too. So um, I think the Diamondbacks have certainly positioned themselves better with Bumgarner, with trading for Starling Marte, with a couple of key bullpen additions. You know, they brought in Steven Vogt and they uh, brought in Cole Calhoun. And, um, you know, like I think they're a better, deeper team than they were, but I think that they're still in transition until their next good core of young players comes up. Um, I think they will be competitive uh, in the division. Again, I mean, they won 85 games last year. I think they can be in that 85 to 88, 89 range as it stands right now, which puts them in the mix for a wild card. Um, And I think that there is a chance for some internal improvement, too. I mean, I think a full season of Zach Gallen will be really impressive to watch. Um, I think if Luke Weaver is healthy, he was having a fantastic year before he hurt his elbow last season. And if he's able to pitch healthy this year, I think he's got a chance to really take another leap forward. You've got a walk year for Robbie Ray. So the starting pitching, um, you know, I think is going to be pretty good overall. Uh, And then if the offense can be a bit more consistent than it has been the last two years, then they, they should find themselves right in the mix for a postseason berth. But they've got to make up 21 games on the Dodgers. And even though the Dodgers really haven't done much this winter, uh, they still have a really talented group. And, you know, if they're, if they're one of those two teams that is in the mix for Mookie Betts, and if they add him without really subtracting much of value from their major league roster, that's going to make them that much better, even though they've been quiet so far this winter. I just, I, I wonder how it would work. Cause we've been joking around with this whole Mookie Betts thing to LA. It's like, you got the, the, the Tampa Bay Dodgers and the Tampa Bay Red Sox and negotiating. Well, they're both run Heim Bloom and Friedman. They're, they're, they both do business the same way. So how could they possibly get a deal done when they both have the same exact mentality? Well, I think that I mean, I think that that can be helpful. I mean, like if you understand where the other person is coming from, I mean, I think that makes it easier. And I think the Dodgers have a far greater uh, ability to take on you know, the financial uh, commitment to you know, Mookie Betts and maybe more than any of the other teams do right now. I mean, where they're positioned payroll wise, I mean, they can take on a bunch and not even get to the competitive balance tax threshold. So, um, you know, I don't know that that necessarily is a hindrance in it. I mean, to me, I think the bigger hindrance from the Dodgers standpoint isn't that those two know each other. It's that the Padres are probably the more desperate team. I mean, they're a team that really has been told, like, you need to take a big step forward this year. And they have an aggressive general manager who has a history of making trades with Bloom from when he was the, the – um, you know, the number two man in Tampa Bay. Um, so they've got a relationship there and they have, they are the team that has the need, uh, the greater need probably for Mookie Betts. I mean, if the Dodgers don't add Mookie Betts, they're still really, really good. If the Padres add Mookie Betts, then we're going to start talking about them in, in the wild card mix as well. And I think that they, they realize that. So um, I'm not sure that it's necessarily the fact that, that, you know, that Bloom and Friedman speak the same language because they work together in in um, in Tampa Bay. And, and, you know, Friedman's background is a little different than Bloom's. Bloom's basically worked in baseball his entire life, you know, from an internship to uh, after leaving baseball prospectus to to being, you know, in the Tampa Bay front office for a long time, whereas Friedman came from Wall Street. So, I mean, I think that there are probably they, – they know each other well enough that they know – you know, how to talk to one another. And I think that they could consummate a deal, but I just don't think that in the end, like if which guy, which team is going to push in one more chip to get the deal done. There's no reason for the Dodgers to do it. There's many more reasons for the Padres to do it. 
Now, you do a show with the GM, so I know you talk a lot to, to Duke about how to get deals done. Uh, do you like the idea of Arenado for Bryant flipping third baseman? Do you like that for the Cubs, and do you like it for the Rockies? Well, I mean, I think there's a lot of things that go into this. I mean, first of all, Arenado has, well, he's unhappy, he has a full no-trade clause. He's got an opt-out in two years, and he has a, a contract that even if you were to swap for somebody like Bryant, would push the Cubs, I believe, above the second uh, competitive balance tax threshold, which would be a lot. So I don't know that you could just do a trade like that straight up, even though both of them may be controlled for two more years. I like the theory of it from Colorado's standpoint in that, hey, listen, if we're going to trade our franchise player, we need to get a great player back in return because our goal is to remain competitive over the course of these next two years. And it would theoretically free up some more money. Now, there's some other ways that you could go with it. Um, you know, Tyler Chatwood would help even things out a little bit. His best seasons were in Colorado. He knows how to pitch in that ballpark. Sinker baller. They could use some rotation depth. You know, if they wanted to add somebody, you know, like, say, an Albert Almora Jr., because they, they felt a little bit undermanned in center field, uh, and it would give them a right-handed hitting option that they could pair with, with, you know, the guys that they have. Maybe they could do something like that. I mean, I think that there are other ways to make this work beyond just Arenado for Bryant. But I think the odds are overwhelming that it doesn't happen. I, I mean, I think it's really tough to, because of all those factors, to trade Arenado right now. I think it's likely to happen at some point. I mean, if it doesn't, you know, you have to think that he's going to adopt out in two years. But the Rockies kind of missed a window in this and what they've been doing this winter in that one of the reasons why they were entertaining Arenado talks at all was to try and find ways to improve their major league roster because they have a very definite window of contention right now, and they're coming off a 91-win year. Most of their core guys are going to be a year away from free agency or at free agency when Arenado's opt-out comes up, including Trevor Story, who's two years away, who I think is one of the more underrated players in the National League. They don't have a particularly deep lineup despite their run scored totals because they play their home games in course, so that's always going to elevate that. I actually like their starting pitching despite their struggles last year. I think they have two, at least two and maybe three if Kyle Freeland bounces back quality starters. And they need some more arms to be able to throw the bullpen problem, and they haven't been able to do anything. They haven't signed a single major league free agent to a contract this winter because they are up against it payroll-wise. And that was, to me, if you want to be able to spend that money, you need to make that move, that decision on a big move, whether it's Arenado or another one of their big contracts earlier in the winter than doing it on January 31st. All right, Super Bowl Sunday. What's the one thing you got to have food-wise to make your Super Bowl party? Oh, boy, that's a good question. I mean, it all depends on whether or not I'm cooking or not. If I'm cooking, then it's got to be ribs, but I'm not cooking this year. My wife makes, and these are incredible, they're buffalo chicken wontons. So think like crab rangoon, but with buffalo chicken dip in the middle. Wow. They're awesome. Like they, they, they go like that at every party we ever go, we go to. It's amazing. So oh, you got, you got to send the recipe. Those over to the neighbors. You got to send yeah, the I, recipe. Dude, it's easy. It's just to make the buffalo chicken dip like you find online. Yeah. And just spoon it in the middle of a wonton and, pan, and fry it up in a little bit of oil and go. Wow. Super simple, super delicious. Look, yeah. at, look at your wife. That's, 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 we eat good here. That's called big league right there. 
<laughs> we're big league. You see me? We're big league eaters. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you like on Sunday? You like the Chiefs or you like the Niners? I, you know what? I don't follow professional football closely enough to to really have a strong opinion on it. I just know from my previous life when I did, Andy Reid was always a really terrific guy to deal with, and I would be happy for him. Um, if he if he uh, you know won a Super Bowl plus Pat, Pat, Patrick Mahomes Jr. is just unbelievable. So I know it's probably not popular in the Bay Area to say that you're you're rooting against the Niners, but I've always had a little bit of an affinity for the Chiefs. I'm a Midwesterner. I got a lot of uh, uh, family that's from there. My cousin worked for the Chiefs like back in the John Makovic days. So <laughs> got a little bit of a rooting interest there, but. Um, you know, I, I think I think I will likely be pulling for them, but I couldn't tell you whether or not they should be favorites or not based on what's happened this season. So, my favorite show, Power Alley on Sirius XM. I listen to it every single morning. You are the best. We'll see you down at spring training and beers on me again. We'll see you down in the Valley of the Sun. Sounds good, and thank you for brown nosing. Oh, by the way, I'm supposed to tell you, Todd in Arizona uh, wanted me to give you a shout out. He sent me a DM. He, he listens all the time. So we've got A's fans here in Arizona that wanted to let you know they're listening. I, well, I'll be down. So you know, we're going to uh, we're we're going to play Cleveland in Vegas for two days, and that's uh-huh. I think that's February 29th, the first, and then I'm going to fly back to Arizona with the team. So let's hook up uh, down in Arizona first week of March. Awesome. Look forward to it. Joining us now is a right-hander that is going to play a huge part in the role of the Oakland Athletics getting back to the postseason. Chris Bassett is with us here on A's Cast Live. Seabass, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Uh, we're doing well. And, you know, I, the excitement that we saw from the fan base for at FanFest last week I mean, you could just tell that this fan base is raring to go. And the one thing I took away from all of you guys is we we did all the dog and pony show up on the main stage. The word that I come away with is the confidence. Talk about the confidence you guys have rolling heading into 2020. Yeah, I, I think we're excited along with the fan base for the exact same reason. And it's just what could be. I mean, I mean, what this team our expectations are obviously extremely high the fans expectations are extremely high and we're just kind of excited to start playing games just to try to meet those expectations yeah i think about winning 97 games back-to-back years unfortunately both years losing in the wild card game but what do you think you guys have learned from playing in that wild card game two straight years um, I mean, not so much what it takes to get to a wild card game, but what it takes to be a really good team, I think, is the biggest thing. Obviously, the wild card game didn't go our way, but uh, yeah, I mean, the wild card game is a crapshoot in itself, where it's just, I mean, it's a one day, one game thing where you're, you're obviously either win or lose, and you go home, and that's it. So, um, I think the biggest thing we we can build on as a team is just we know what it takes to be really good. And now it's just kind of getting to the extra hump of going past. I mean, hopefully don't even get to the wild card game, go past the wild card game, win the division kind of thing. But um, yeah, just make, I mean, do more damage in the postseason. 
You know, when I think about how tight you guys are, it really was on display at FanFest as I had to step in for Dallas Braden and I had to host you pitchers. And, and the way you guys get on each other, it's a lot of fun. The way you tease each other and rag on each other, you got each other's back. I know a lot of you guys are proud of what Mike Fires did this offseason with this whole Houston Astros debacle. But just talk about, as a team in that clubhouse, how close you guys are. I mean, I'm sure other teams are pretty close, but I don't know how you can get much closer than what we are. Just because, I mean, I, I feel like just the front office has kind of put together a pitching staff where it's kind of like the perfect mix of of serious but joking around and playing kind of thing where we, we definitely all like to get after it and uh, work hard and in the weight room. And then obviously, I mean, a lot of drills in spring training and a lot of drills – uh, and practices and stuff can just get so boring. But with the, with the, with this group that we have, it just everything turns into a not so friendly friendly competition of like, listen, I'm trying to be the best at this, no matter what it may be. And it's kind of just made us made all of our friendships grow and grow. Uh, and then we kind you guys kind of see to an extent how close we really are. But I mean, it, it, it's a very special group of we we don't sugarcoat anything and we tell we tell it how it is to a lot of a lot of guys you know we in the past have have talked about your recovery from Tommy John and it wasn't easy and you pitched in 28 games and i think the great thing for you heading into this off season is that you had 25 starts last year what did that mean for you to take the ball and start 25 games last season uh i, I mean it was huge to me just because I didn't know if I was going to be able to ever do that again. Um, I, I didn't know once I had surgery, if I was going to, I never really had a doubt. I mean, I had some doubts when I had surgery of if I can get back, but once I kind of got back, I was like, all right, I know I, I, I can pitch at this level again, but I just don't know to what extent. And the way my body held up last year kind of just, it really just told me all the work, all right, all the work you put in and all the stuff that you've done to kind of get back here really is, has paid off and is paying off in the aspect, in, in the aspect of the whole thing of, I mean, how strong I felt at the very end of the season, I thought I could easily go four five, six more starts and I wouldn't really have a problem or be worried about getting injured and stuff like that. And I don't think I could ever said that before. So just getting that monkey off the back is huge. Yeah, you do that, and you're, you're in the 30 start range, which is, you know, you get to 31, 32. That's exactly where you want to be. I can tell you this. I've been championing you. Uh, I've said that we do the David Force show here on Ace Cast, and I have said to David, hey, Chris Bassett's out of options, and someone will steal you very, very fast. It is so important that you stay with this ball club because – you know, you need all the starting pitching, plus you can pitch out of the bullpen. When they have talked to you this off season, what have they talked to you about your role heading into 2020 and spring training in Mesa? Uh, they really haven't talked to me. Uh, on, to be honest with you, I have not had a single conversation about my role uh, going into this year. I really haven't. Um, the, the conversations that I've had is we don't know what your role is going to be. That's, that's, that's the reality of it. I mean, um, 
I think we all have to kind of get to spring training and see how everyone is uh, health-wise and um, go through spring training and see how everyone is and then kind of make a decision then kind of at the end of spring. And um, luckily for me, luckily for the A's, uh, I can do both. So I'm not too concerned. Like I, I've always told, uh, it's kind of a, it's a joke, but I'm not being serious. If you have five stars better than me, then we're, we're pretty, we're, we're, we're good. We're good to go. So, um, I'm pretty excited to do whatever it is. I'm not sure what it is right now, but I'm I'm pretty dang excited for the year to start just because I know what our starting staff could be. And then obviously our bullpen, I think is going to be extremely good too. Yeah. I, I think about when you start talking about Mike fires and you talk about Sean Mania, Frankie Montas, you're talking about puck, you're talking about Lazardo, And then we're talking about Chris Bassett. I mean, going into spring training, because it's been since, like, I don't know if it was 2012 or 2013 when the Detroit Tigers only used seven starting pitchers. That's just not a reality anymore. All of you are going to play a big role in this season. I think you guys just have to look around, and you got to love all the depth that you have. Plus, you're going to have strong contenders down in Las Vegas to help you out. Yeah, I mean, I think having having the support around you knowing – Hey, I may need a day, or may we may have to go to a sixth day just to give someone a break, or something like that. is is going to be huge. It's just knowing knowing how much depth that we have, and it's not a, a lot of teams around at the MLB say they have depth, and it's just not true. It's just not the reality that you have five or six or seven quality starters. It's just it's 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 truly just not it's not true whatsoever. But with Oakland. I mean, you you got the six guys you just said, and then you have I mean you have Mangdon, and then I mean I'm not sure what they're doing with Gossett and stuff like that, but I know Gossett's looking really good in, in this off season. So I mean, we have a lot of guys that have pitched the big league level and have had success, and it's just we are extremely lucky, especially this this time right now, just the the at least starting pitching wise, the depth, the true the true depth that we have at a big league level. You know, a, a rivalry, you know, sometimes it's history that makes the rivalry or there's circumstances that can create a rivalry. And I've got the feeling that this year Astros A's is going to be electric every single time you guys go up against each other. How excited are you to, to, to be pitching this series? Because I think they're going to be wild. Yeah, well, unfortunately, fortunately for us, unfortunately for them, I, I think the Astros kind of turned themselves into the rival of every team. So that kind of helps us out. But um, I, I hope, I hope we don't get caught into a trap where we're 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 worrying too much, trying too hard, and just pressing a little bit against the Astros. I hope, I think we had such a great game plan, great mentality last year. I mean, Bullmel is obviously a great leader of us and just understanding the team and what we kind of need and what we need to talk about and stuff like that. And I felt like we were never really overwhelmed by the Astros last year. So um, I thought going into their place, them come to us, it was never like, dang, we're mismatched here a little bit. And, and they had an unbelievably start, unbelievable starting staff. They obviously have a great team. So to say that is pretty impressive in itself. But, I mean, this year, obviously, with 
everything that's gone on, human aspect of it all, I'm sure the the emotions and the the juices are definitely going to be flowing a lot more than usual. For the first time ever in baseball history, we had four teams win over 100 games last year. And to do that, you need to be pretty consistent. And we know in the past the A's teams have gotten off to a slow start. Some people think because there's always a lot of new players. That's not the case this year. The core of your team is coming back once again. How important is it that you guys get off to a good start and you remain consistent throughout the season? Yeah, it's huge, but I think you kind of alluded to what the biggest thing I think could help us out is just the the consistency of this team from years past that I've been here where it's just a massive turnover of, all right, we're trying to figure out who's going where and what's like what positions this and who's who's starting here and who's throwing out the bullpen here. But like coming into this year, I think for the most part is I mean you you can already almost write opening day roster for the for the most part. Obviously there's a couple holes here and there or whatever it may be, but um knowing who's coming back and I mean knowing I mean fan that's why I think Fan Fest was so much fun this year just because it was like not a new face everywhere you turned. So it, I mean, it's, it's going to be extremely exciting. I'm kind of trying to stay even keel here and not be too crazy. But um, I think, I think this year could be very, very fun. All right. Sunday is the Super Bowl. It's the big game at your Super Bowl party. What is the one thing food wise you have to have is a must for you on Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, I would say this is kind of a weird one, but uh, buffalo chicken dip. I absolutely love buffalo chicken dip, so that has to be in there. Nice. Actually, my producer, Commander Cody, agrees with you. That's his one thing. And then, of course, this game is going to be tight. It's going to be a hell of a game between the Chiefs and the Niners. Very competitive. Who do you like on Sunday? Man, I'm so torn. My my heart my heart wants the Chiefs to win so bad. Just because I, I I want Andy Reid to to get his. I think he actually he he really really deserves it. But my gut is just saying the 49ers defense, and I think Jimmy Garoppolo has heard enough that he can't pass and stuff like that. I think the 49ers win. So if if I were have to if I have to pick someone, I think the 49ers are going to win. But I really 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 want the Chiefs to win. But I'm pulling for the Chiefs, but I think the 49ers are going to win. Great stuff, as always. We appreciate the time. And uh, before you know it, we'll see you down in Mesa. Enjoy the Super Bowl on Sunday, and we'll see you down at spring training. Thank you. Can't wait to see you guys. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.